we are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here on su- on such a week as this too, which is which is a shame. But he uh, he had so he had just works catching up with him, even on the weekends, and it's a shame sometimes. But regardless, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via mostly spoiler-free review, the occasional commentary track, and some other fun movie topics. This is episode 444. 444. All right. What a what a nice even number for an episode like this. Uh, because this week we're talking Zack Snyder's Justice League. Not to be confused with Justice League. It is Zack <laughs> Snyder's Justice League. Um, the four-hour cut of the film that is now streaming on HBO Max. And joining me to discuss Zack Snyder's Justice League, we have, from sites such as Superhero Hype, Films Gone Wild, and Synagogues, he lives in a society. It's Luke Thompson. I do live in a society, but not recently, it seems, for about a year. <laughs> also joining us from, from sites such as Variety, What to Watch, Mental Floss, and Fangoria, he's never let any part of a hot dog fall to the ground, including the sesame seeds. It's Todd Gilchrist. Uh, yeah, hot, uh, yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's uh my uh pandemic humor is uh you know it's not quite at 100 uh, percent. so and and finally joining us from forbes comment commenting on everyone's fully released assembly cuts it's scott mendelson <laughs> happy to be here as always it feels inevitable <laughs> glad glad to have you all here today to discuss Zack snyder's justice league uh how how are you all doing i'm doing well I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. Excited to uh, to discuss this with you fellas. Yeah, I'm doing decent, I would say. I got my first uh, vaccination shot, so I'm hey, anxiously anticipating the second. Yeah, I'm getting my second one, I think, in a week or two, and so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Look at you guys. All right. <laughs> How old are you people? Why are you getting vaccination shots? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, like just, something? they're just essential. Yeah. <laughs> you put it like that way. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. They, they are. Meanwhile, you're like, you know, you're on Snyder's shit list. So it's like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> which, which apparently syncs up to the vaccination shots for some reason. <laughs> hey, if I can leak a trailer online hours before its fandom debut, you'd think I'd be able to get a fucking vaccination shot. <laughs> that, that was purely your doing as well. That's what we know. Exactly. Um, well, yeah, that's a. That's the newest conspiracy theory that I actually leaked the trailer. <laughs> Which trailer was this? I missed this. Which trailer did you leak? Uh, the Fandome Justice League teaser. I made a comment about it because it was leaked a couple hours before it was supposed to be, and Snyder <laughs> got pissy at me, and his fans have been tormenting me ever since. Which, okay, fine, maybe I should have waited a couple hours. But, again, the conspiracy theory is that I leaked the trailer. Ah, I, so they... Oh. they, they oh. It's, How would I do that? I, mean, I just hope that I just hope that goes on your Wikipedia page. <laughs> or, you know, uh, please do. <clears throat> just keep in mind, Scott, that anyway, people, people that are hate listening to this are going to use these clips against you someday. So try <laughs> try to avoid things like I did this in declarative statements for the. I <laughs> leaked the Snyder Cut trailer, <laughs> and I still like the Netflix acquisition cuties. <laughs> oh boy, that, you're asking for it there. So let, <laughs> let's let's get to some show notes before we get to more of this nonsense. <laughs> first up, <laughs> first up, uh, commentary tracks. Uh, we we we've been doing the Hannibal Lecter films for the past few months here, and we recently did Hannibal. Scott, you were on that track, and that was uh, it's a lot of fun. A lot of, a lot of stuff talking about with, with Hannibal. 
And, of course, we're coming up on the new month, which means we're going to get to the next film in this uh, this series, which is, of course, Brett Ratner's Red Dragon. Um, so... I was literally watching that tonight. I was flipping channels, and it was... Uh... Why? It was on. It was just, it literally, it was on, and I was like, I was like, yeah, I watched like five minutes of this, and then I, uh, and then I said, what I want to do is record a four-hour podcast <laughs> about Zack <laughs> instead of watching Red Dragon, and I'm like, wow, I'm really choosing between some exhilarating options. <laughs> I watched, I watched it prepare to prepare because I haven't seen it in full in a while, and uh, I have thoughts, and we'll get to those in April when we do that commentary track, but. That is the plan for now, but you can find all our commentaries uh, that we do along with all of our episodes on iTunes, where you can also leave us a rating and review, which would be great. If you wanted to log into iTunes, search for out now, there, and Dave, give us a rating and review. That'd be wonderful. It would pop us up in the old iTunes charts. Thank you in advance. Um, other things to note, it is th- the time of this recording is the 21st of March. In two days is going to be the 10th anniversary of this stupid podcast. <laughs> We've been doing this for Holy 10 shit. years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, weekly, there there are maybe one or two weeks that we might have like missed, and I even missed. We just didn't do because we already recorded something. But we've been consistently doing this show for ten years I mean, now. Wow. To be fair, it kind of sucked till episode seven. <laughs> you're, you're you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the show has changed a lot in the in the years since we've been doing this. Um. But yeah, we uh, Abe and I we have plans to talk about something to do um, in order of this. I don't know if anything too elaborate here, but I mean it is you know it's been a it's been an undertaking to do this show for as long as we've been doing it, and we're we're happy to keep doing it. So just want to throw that out there for all the listeners that have been you know occasionally dropping in to hear what we have to say about things for you know a, a decade at this point. You're a loyal reader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that one guy who also likes the uneaters. That's that's who it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The podcast is so old, back when it first started, we all agreed that Scream 4 was terrible. Except Abe. That was our first disagreement on this podcast. Scream I 4. never agreed to that. I never agreed to that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and, yeah, that's show notes. So let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to some out now quickies. Each week and out now, we have one movie week that we talk about. I sped it up. That's what I went for in that one. I started off slow, and I sped it up fast, and here we are. So with that in mind, let's start. Todd, let's start with you. What other movies have you seen recently? Well, uh, really, the the only movie, the the two movies that I watched most recently were Coming to America, which I was not a big fan of, uh, and uh, Yes Day. The uh, the it's a Netflix movie directed by Miguel Arteta with uh, Jennifer Garner is the star, and it's you know an adaptation of a kid's book, um, and. It's it's like a movie where I'm sort of like I, I don't know exactly who it's for, but uh, it was it's kind of interesting watching the director of like The Good Girl and like Chuck and Buck make these kids movies every once in a while. Um, I don't think that uh, he has a it's like he has like about a fifty percent aptitude to to doing it, but that that's probably the one I watched most recently. He has a, a strange journeyman career. As far as for sure for Jack, sure mainly in like comedies or like indie comedies or whatnot like what is cedar rapids him is that him too i yes. think so yeah, yeah and I, I like that one quite a bit also but uh yeah he's i i, I even the ones that i don't like 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 a boss which i don't think works i appreciate his specificity and his characters yeah they, they, it, they tend to feel authentic even when the story doesn't yeah it's an interesting i mean it's a it's an interesting movie in in certain ways um uh particularly uh, 
you know, some of the casting choices, but it's, but it's also a movie that's like trying to juggle like entertaining kids and parents at the same time. And, and it feels like too light for parents and maybe too dark for kids, but I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, uh, or at least a kind of interesting movie. I know my, my lovely girlfriend's son, she enjoyed it quite a bit for what it was. So, uh, I, I know, yeah, I know it's, a, you know, it's for a family audience and I, yeah, I suppose it will, you know, work for a certain crowd. I hate families. I hate families. So. <laughs> Edgar Ramirez is in there too, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which and is actually, I thought he was really great. I did like, he was sort of the, the standout to me because I was like, he's, uh, and, and quite frankly, the, there, there is one spectacular moment that I'm going to just spoil, which is, uh, they sort of have the divide of these two parents and he drives his daughter to school and they are duetting to epic by faith no more so it's like (laughs) six-year-old girl and him singing you know you want it out but you can't have it and i was like i was like this is the kind of subversive stuff that i think is really it's specific like scott said and i i like it it's 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 really kind of clever uh unfortunately there are not that many moments like that but that moment i thought was was kind of a standout all righty luke how about you what have you seen recently well, I've been doing a lot of festival coverage, not the big festivals, but smaller ones. So I saw a movie called Monkey Beach that is <laughs> I, it is a faith-based movie, but not a Christian faith-based movie. It is a Heisla Indian faith-based movie based on a best-selling novel. Huh. And so it's full of all these devices that sort of – in books, you don't question how they would be visualized, where – it's a drama about a character going home, but she also sees dead people. She sees a spirit on her nightstand, and you're sort of like, how is that going to be visualized? And very matter-of-factly, which is sort of weird, but at the same time, if it was some elaborate CG thing, it would make you think it was too much of a fantasy. It's like, yeah, if I saw a ghost, it probably would look like a normal person, and then I'd look away and they'd be gone, that kind of thing. Uh, so that was interesting, because it's nice to see a faith-based movie about a faith I know nothing about, and I assume... Probably anyone who's not Heisla is not going to know a lot about it. Um, and, and Adam Beach, who you've known forever as Hollywood's token young Native American male actor, is now old enough to be the crazy uncle guest star in this movie. So he's like the wacky American Indian movement elder who never had kids and is kind of encourages his niece to do bad things. Wait, so, uh, so, so, so Adam Beach stars in Monkey Beach? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't star. He's the supporting guest star. Regardless, <laughs> you you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah, I was I, I got confused for a second. Like, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, just it's beaches, as you know. You might you just envision Bette Midler in your head, I guess. Um, I mean, the thing I'm most disappointed by is that it's not just a literal movie about a beach that is like occupied by monkeys. It's like a Life which, of Pi spinoff. Which I, you know, I may have divulged this on on previous uh, appearances, but you know, I will give any movie with a monkey in it one additional star <laughs> under any circumstances. Because I think most I, people are there with you. Yeah, and uh, that is, I mean, that is like a fact of my professional career. <laughs> And uh, and the idea of a beach of monkeys, um, you know, wearing like old timey swimwear to me, that feels like that would be a great idea for a movie. But, um, you know, sure, sure. This faith based film, I'm, I'm sure it's wonderful. I, I uh, but it you're doesn't not, have you're not far off, though, spiritually, because I think it's using the term monkey to mean like a mischievous spirit. And in that case, it is a completely accurate title. OK. 
So there aren't there aren't literal monkeys, but there are sort of, I guess, for want of a better word, possible Bigfoots. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> possible mystical Bigfoots seen in the distance and out of the corner of one's eye. All right. So you know that's the, obviously it's a pretty cool faith compared to a bunch of the others that make movies. <laughs> wow, I'll have to check that out. Let's uh, let's jump to Scott. How about you? What have, what have you seen recently? Well, speaking of, of actually living up to his promises of a title or not, Wendy and I watched Slacks last night on Shudder, which is indeed a movie about supernaturally possessed killer genes. Now, this is Slacks spelled with like two X's or yes, three X's? Yes, S-L-A-X-X. Got it. Oh, we're talking about the genes you wear on your legs and not the yes. genetic code inside your body. This is more complicated than I expected. To Bingo. Be. Yes. <laughs> Levi <Yeah>. DNA. <laughs> and yes, it is a, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into the details because it's a very short film. It's very self-explanatory. Uh, but it is about a bunch of people working in a high-end clothing store that get stalked by murderous genes. Or, I don't know if they're genes. Anyway, they're pale. And and you get what you pay for. It is very bloody. It is very graphic. It has a decent body count. It has some semblance of a, you know, a point in a way that, you know, back in the day, most movies did. But now we'll probably inspire a bunch of what this movie's about and why it matters. Think pieces. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it's 77 minutes. If you got Shutter, go for it. It's fun. Why are the genes so angry? Can you spoil that? Or is that too big it's a spoiler? It's kind of a spoiler. I mean, I... Okay. I can tell you, I'll, you know, remind me, I'll shoot you. They were, they were, they were worn on a, on a, on an Indian burial ground. <laughs> uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, well, what what I, I hope this answers oh, all the questions that were left over from in fabric, because you know, <laughs> that was the movie that I felt, uh, had, a, it conjured a lot of those questions that Scott mentions and I don't feel like it successfully answered them, but, uh, but you know, <laughs> I also watched, the Courier, which I when Brenda Cumberbatch is The Courier, which was in theaters this weekend, which I'm sure means it'll be on VOD in a few weeks. I don't know. Uh, very good. It's an old school 1960s set Cold War melodrama. Uh, it's very much, you know, by the came in the, from the cold or Bridge of Spies, which it's not dissimilar from. It's about a you know a regular businessman who, because of his business contacts in the Soviet Union gets recorded to do some, you know, espionage uh, in the early 60s. And without going into details, what I liked about it is that it, you know, it's a lean, mean, 105-ish minutes without press, and it changes its game every so often. Um, it's not a what-you-see-is-what-you-get type movie. Uh, very well-acted, old-school star vehicle. It is well-acted, and I, I, also, I agree. Oh, yeah, I, I like the movie, and I think Benedict Cumberbatch is it's about as good as Benedict Cumberbatch can be in a movie like this. Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as always, these days, I am pleased to see any big star in a star vehicle that isn't connected to a franchise or an eccentric character. Uh, I did take Aaron's advice and see City of Lies on Friday. Didn't do much for me, but again, I enjoyed seeing those actors bounce off that material. I just like that it uh, wasn't a train wreck. Like, that was my... Yeah. It's like, it, the movie's been sitting around for years. I'm like, oh, I see why it's been delayed now. It's it's, yeah. it's less because of it being... It's less not, not because of its quality. It's because of other things yeah. involving the story. Yeah. Because of everything else. Yeah. But, yeah, that one's a, a film about the uh, investigations of the murders of 
uh, Tupac Shakur and uh, the Notorious B.I.G. Notorious B.I.G. I always get them confused with Biggie Smalls. I know they're two different people. Uh, no, they're not. No, they're, no, not. they're the same. They're the same person. They just have different names. Oh, yay for me! I'm woke. Rock on. Um, but no, it, it's fine. It's a good, solid little police procedural. It wants to be Zodiac. It's obviously not. But and again, it's nice to see Johnny Depp playing a regular person. We've watched. Uh, <laughs> yes, especially these days. Maybe one of the last times. Nobody, which opens on Friday. Um, Universal Picture. Oh, I saw that. Uh, you know what? I know. Uh, I talked for too long. I'll let Aaron go. Yeah, because I watched it as well. I watched it with my dad, who is a big fan of John Wick, and we both watched Better Call Saul together. So, I mean, I, we were ready to watch this movie, and it delivered. It's super fun. It, it's it's very simple and very lean. I don't want to go into who other who the other cast members are, but it certainly delivers on a kind of beyond being an action movie. It delivers a sort of comedic uh, finale that's quite in, it makes it all I mean it's already worthwhile but then it kind of goes into a direction where I like I wasn't expecting it as far as the participants in it and I was like okay I I, <laughs> I, I am won over fully by this movie now but I think Bob Odenkirk a man whose career is fascinating to me as far as where he's come from to how he's oh, yeah. now the star of a movie like this uh, but he's also perfectly cast here, as far as what he's doing. He's, he's you know, supposed to be yeah. playing a mild-mannered guy that gets involved in some violent action, and there's reasons for that. But I think it's just well-handled. It's directed by the man who did Hardcore Henry, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. And it's produced by David Leach, um, of the of, of the of the world of John Wick, um, among other things. I does. mean, it's 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 definitely John Wick Mad Libs. But, sure. Uh, yeah. But it's very. Very entertaining. Yeah, it it feels like like this is the this is the I've been I haven't written my review yet because I've been kind of working on my comparisons. But if like if John Wick is like Buster Keaton, this feels like Harold Lloyd. Like as far as the kind of tone yeah. these things are taking, the way the character is handled, uh, where there's there's more inherent humor here. Where John Wick has like you know a a, a dark sense of humor uh, that goes sure. through it, and it's still you know the way the action plays out, you, you can't not find a bit of humor in it. But nobody seems like it really wants to emphasize. Yeah, this is. This is certainly ridiculous, even if we're taking, you know, the characters are taking it seriously in the moment. But it's it's enjoyable is the main point there. Uh, yeah. It's only in theaters on Friday, I believe. So you know, it's well, it's universal, so it have like that what that twelve fourteen day wait period yeah, yeah. before it goes. It'll so. be on COVOD mid mid April. Yeah, so it's it's a worthwhile film though. I think. Unless it opens a fifty million dollar. Todd, were you? It'll be you know <laughs> later. Todd, were you a fan? Oh yes, yes, very much so. It's funny. I I had an opportunity to see it. I mean, a little while ago, you know, and I was. Uh, after uh, a particularly dire uh, sort of holiday season of watching movies, what really jumped out to me about that movie was that um, it was very glossy in a way that reminded me of what it was like to go to a movie and sit in a theater with a bunch of people and kind of like react to all these things in this kind of gobsmacked way. And just sort of fun experience, you know, I mean, I don't think there's anything particularly deep or original about it, but I, I, like when I got done, I was like, that felt like a real movie in a yeah. weird way that <laughs> yeah. many, that even a lot of much more serious, uh, substantial fare did not where, I mean, like, you know, I, I think I watched it and within the same week of watching like Minari and, and Nomadland, both of which I thought were fantastic, but I was like, but I just enjoyed this. Like, you know, in a way that I hadn't in, in, in during a movie in a long time. 
yeah, I, I, well, I think we're all in agreement there that nobody is quite yeah. the quite the enjoyable ride. I was, yeah. and, and also my dad quite liked it too, and he did not expect to go it to go where it went. So, but um, yeah, so lot, lots of thumbs in the right direction for nobody, I guess. Um, I also watched uh, Blue Collar. Uh, I watched this because um, Yafik Koto, I'm gonna cry. a yeah. terrific actor, passed away this week. Um, we, many know him from Alien or mm-hmm. Midnight Run or Homicide Life on the Street, the series, of course. Um, Blue Collar is, uh, is uh, Paul Schrader's first directorial effort. He obviously had already written uh, Taxi Driver, among other things. But um, uh, this film, it, start, it stars, Yafik Koto is like the third lead because you also have Harvey Keitel and Richard Pryor in one of his few dramatic performances and and he's still you know funny on occasion but regardless he is terrific i mean the whole cast is solid because mm-hmm. look at this cast but richard Pryor's really good at this movie like i was i i had i had not seen blue car before and i was like okay let me let me i have it and like let me finally like put this in now and since you know the situ- the uh, the occasion was called for and it's just it it's a very it's a very angry movie uh very much gets into kind of the the politics of the day especially involving people's distrust of unions um, and where that comes from or what have you. And it's it's a really effective kind of, it's weird to say comedy drama, but like a drama that just happens to have, you know, some elements in there. Uh, but again, I mean, Yafakoto is, is very good, as I would expect to be. Harvey Keitel does strong work as well. But Richard, Richard Pryor is really good. As I, just, I, I, haven't, I haven't, honestly haven't seen his, his dramatic work um, in films, and it was, it was very impressive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was a very big fan of Blue Collar, which is unfortunately not streaming like anywhere. Like I, it's, I, I have a, a Blu-ray copy, but I know it has like Blu-ray release, but it's not like widely available in a way that would be more convenient for people. Um, but no, that was just it was really good. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, all right, that was on now quickies, yeah, TM, and um, no trailer this week, guys, because we have um, <laughs> we have a league to get into here. We're going to talk now about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Heroes will never come again. Fighting the devil in his army. You know, I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us united. That should have been some of the trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League. I feel like most of us listening are already fairly acquainted with the saga that is the road to this film. A tale featuring more twists, turns, heroes, and villains than the actual four-hour director's cut currently available on HBO Max. We'll probably get into that a bit more, but to sum up, Zack Snyder left Justice League during post-production only for Joss Whedon to step in and deliver a cut Warner Brothers could release in November 2017. The results were underwhelming and a rather passionate fan base asterisk spent years pushing for the studio to let snyder complete his vision uh various things happen and now we have this superhero epic presented in the academy ratio divided into six parts plus a prologue and an epilogue which once again tells the story of how batman gathered together superpowered individuals to take on the threat of dark side by his proxy steppenwolf all of that out of the way let's i want luke i want to hear from you first i want to get some brief thoughts on how you've been enjoying the dc cinematic universe and what you thought of this film well, I'm a bigger supporter of the DC Cinematic Universe than most. My picks 
are quite different than a lot than a lot of others when it comes to this. I have been revisiting this week for the benefit of my wife as well, Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman Ultimate Edition, and I've watched Justice League. Snyder cut now twice because the first time was on my laptop with my email flashing at various different points in the screen at different times. Artistically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, which is never ideal. At least it was in four by three. <laughs> yes. Um, I think fairly early on in this movie, there's a moment where an Icelandic girls choir sings a farewell hymn to Aquaman. <laughs> and at that point, you sort of realize, okay, this is not going where a Hollywood movie is going to go. This is a movie that's going to take digressions where it wants to take them. And you, you're with that or you're not. And I was with it. I thought by the end, I was like, I like this, but I'm not sure the people who've been clamoring for it, the stereotypical folks that is will exactly, because it's this slow it's meandering. Lived in meandering thing that feels like it should be in Russian almost, or at least like not English. It feels like a if a foreign language superhero movie had all the money in the world, that this would be imported and it would be this bootlegged thing that the internet would be talking about, and finally someone would release it, which is arguably not that different than the path it actually took. It'll be in black and white soon enough, so you're getting kind of there. Yeah, yeah, I saw I, I posted I a clip yesterday. I, I saw the Justice's Gray edition is indeed coming, and supposedly that will include the We Live in a Society line, if Zack Snyder gets his way. He was going to have that the Joker's lines be different for the black and white version. Oh, great. Have mercy. Um, but I've watched, I watched it a second time with Julia on the big screen TV, uh, and we took bathroom breaks at every chapter break, and that worked out really well and it felt like it flew by that time so granted that i am kind of a sucker for this anyway i was all in i'm still all in um and i i went back and looked at some of the special features of justice league as they're calling it and just the difference between when steppenwolf is picking up a guy and he says please we have families and snyder steppenwolf is like then you have weakness and joss and steppenwolf is like why does everyone keep telling me that? It's just like, uh, okay, yeah, one is menace and one is just Riker being a smartass, which is Joss's thing, to be fair, and always, ha and always has been. But the one thing that always bothered me about Joss's one the most is he couldn't even film Superman's suit in a way that didn't show the padding. You could see the metal plates under the armor. You could see the contours drawn on. He couldn't freaking light Superman's suit. And that always bothered me, and it made me appreciate that Zack Snyder always lights it in a way that makes it look like it actually is his physique. Anyway, I've got on enough. I'll pass the ball to someone else on this one. Fair enough. Uh, Todd, hearing some of your asides makes me think you're not quite as fond of this film as Luke is. Where, where do you land when it comes to Justice League and this universe in general? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I would say that I have not thought that many of the the DC movies have been exceptional uh i mean or at least i think that most of them are f flawed at best um but but also you know i'm pretty ambivalent about them as a whole like I, it's not something where i'm just like these are just awful um I, you know i was not a fan of the original or the 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 theatrical cut of the film um and i actually prior to writing my review i watched uh zack snyder's justice league twice and like I got like halfway through it the second time and I actually wasn't even sure why I was watching it a second time, but I just kind of was like, 
I want to kind of make sure that I've completely soaked in every aspect of this. And, and truly, you know, I, I like uh, the, the, the sort of caption with my review was, I think this is unquestionably the best version of a, of a not great movie. Um, I mean, I don't think that it's, uh, I think there's interesting stuff in it. Um, I, I will say also, you know, I think what may be relevant is that I actually really like Zack Snyder mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I don't think that he always makes the best choices. Uh, And in fact, I think that he will consistently choose a moment for its level of coolness or its imagistic qualities over story, you know, uh, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Um, And I think that that is a big problem with this movie in particular. Um, but you know, I'm happy that he had the opportunity to make this movie for his sake. Um, there are some, certainly some elements, um, some thematic elements that I think that certainly, uh, reverberate and reflect some of the stuff that he and his family went through, which was part of the reason that he wasn't able to finish it the first time. And so I'm interested in learning how much of that was actually, um, uh, always there versus maybe put together as he sort of assembled this. But I would say ultimately, um, you know, in in the most succinct way, I think that it is an assembly cut sort of like absolutely kitchen sink kind of cut of a movie. And I think that there is a happy medium between, you know, the, the version that was created for uh, theaters in 2017 and this version that could be successful um, that doesn't feel so, um, you know, glacial and and sort of uh, uh, indulgent that could tell the story in a more uh, a, 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 a more satisfying way. But I, I, I don't think that it's like a terrible film. I just don't I just can't imagine anybody. I mean, even, you know, uh, like Luke being a fan of it, you know like going, yes, I want to sit down and watch this in one sitting for four hours ever again after this first sort of shot, basically. Well, we'll get back to that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But first, let's get I to... I think Scott. I will when it's black and white. Hmm. <laughs> so let's get, sure. to, let's get to Scott on this. I Briefly, tell, tell us your you know, general thoughts on the, on this cut of uh, Sex well, Justice League. You know, I think for better or worse, and this isn't a, necessarily a criticism... A, it does feel and play like an assembly cut with finished effects. There is a large amount of redundancy in the narrative in a way that at its best reminded me of Peter Jackson's King Kong. <clears throat> so it's not without value. And the first hour or so, which I found to be almost painful the first time, played better on the second time. Um, Where are you I guys think... finding these extra four hours? Like, I watched this once. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Um, well, Fine. It, go it, on. It, I'm sorry. Jeez. No, that's okay. Um, I think at its best, it's also kind of a lazy river of a movie. You know, in the same way I described Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's just sort of a leisurely, relaxing cinematic experience in a world that I like being in with characters I like interacting with. Having said that, the first two hours, or at least if I'm being generous, the first 95 minutes, it's basically all set up, past tense exposition, basically stuff that, yes, I mean, all due respect, it really is the same movie, but more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, again, I, I don't mean to judge that in the sense of the 
amount of crap I've gotten online over that very simple proclamation. That being said, there are two things about this film that are vastly superior to the one that we got in theaters. A, the action finale is awesome. Um, I liked the Whedon cut more or less. I thought it was a inefficient and enjoyable action comedy about you know, very depressed, almost suicidal superheroes finding a surrogate family amongst themselves. I think this film is kind of the same thing. It's obviously a little bit subtler in its character beats because it wasn't, you know, cut to the bone for a two-hour running time. Um, but the action finale in this is what basically what I wanted out of a big, big-budget Justice League movie. It is exciting. It is visually stimulating. It has a an act structure that frankly reminded me of the Battle of New York from Whedon's The Avengers. Um, it gives every superhero something to do that it relates to their powers and their personality. It shows them coming together. And frankly, you know, especially Aquaman, if you watch him in the final battle, he's realizing that he likes these people. He actually enjoys their company. And that influences his, his choices in the big battle. It's not just saving the earth. Um, and the obvious thing is that, you know, Ray Fisher Cyborg gets a much, much bigger role in this picture. Um, he gets a lot of past tense exposition. It was understandably deleted when the two-hour edict came on. And a lot of the reshot footage in the second half of the picture, you know, instead of being Batman and Wonder Woman being feeling guilty about the death of Superman or the death of Steve Trevor and, you know, uh, Wonder Woman's fear of, of, of being a leader and being a role model, it's basically cyborg stuff. It's a de facto cyborg origin story. And that's the frustrating thing in that there is a coherent, arguably crowd-pleasing and possibly quite commercial two-and-a-half-hour movie, movie that exists in this footage. And even if the film would have done no better commercially than the 2017 version, which made six hundred fifty million nine million worldwide, but on a you know on a budget of three hundred million, partially because of the reshoot. A, the budget would have been less because you wouldn't have had to do all the reshoots and director swaps. And B, quite frankly, it would have had the artistic and social and yada 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 value of being a big budget superhero movie starring a black man, starring a black superhero as in the Superman slash Iron Man role. Um, would that have made it more of a hit? I don't know. But it certainly would have beat Marvel to the punch for bragging rights. And I think it certainly would have furthered the goal of this movie in the first place, which was to use the Justice League movie to launch a bunch of spinoffs. Um, even people that you know weren't super crazy about the Snyder Cut, either in this form or in some, some theoretical two-and-a-half-hour form, certainly would have been more gung-ho for a cyborg movie than they are right now. They probably would have been more gung-ho for a Flash movie than they are right now. So whether it was Snyder being unwilling to compromise or Warner, Warner Brothers being scared shitless and doing what they always do, which is doubling down on Batman, or probably, if I'm being fair, a combination thereof, it is still artistically and un commercially unfortunate that the parties made the decisions they made and released and again, I don't hate it, an inferior Justice League movie that really was just Batman, Superman, and Friends that accomplished 
neither artistic nor commercial goals that were set out from the get-go. Well, don't forget, they also marketed it terribly as well. They didn't just screw up the production. Well, and that's the thing, is they could just lie. I mean, and they did lie. I mean, if you watch the Snyder Cut-specific marketing, it's not like it's being sold as the Cyborg movie. It's still Batman, Wonder Woman, all the legions of apocalypse in these Lord of the Rings scenes that are clearly from flashbacks. And, you know, and, and you know, again, they could have lied. And, the, you know, I don't think anybody would have walked into a Justice League movie would have been pissed, like, oh, there was too much cyborg, boo-hoo. It would have been a happy surprise. Just like the people that walked into Frozen and, and you know, and again, I think the marketing was more honest than the credit for, but walked into Frozen, like, wow, it's a girl-powered musical after all. Nifty. But I will say, I want to uh, interject at, at least uh, to, to say, you know, I understand why they cut Cyborg's story down. Yeah. Um, which is to say that not that I uh, that I think that his story isn't interesting, but um, you know I think that Zack Snyder started from a place where he had more story than he could tell in the yeah. amount of time that he was allotted, and that's from the get go, like from the beginning of creating what this movie was going to be, because this movie is not a, it, it will never be a two hour a good two hour movie. And so he had too much story to tell. So, so you start cutting and what you end up doing is you're losing stuff about people that, um, as I I think Scott, you, you pointed out, um, is, you know, there's a lot of repetition in, in the storytelling. Every character has a hero moment, um, an, an individual hero moment. Every character has some sort of parental interaction. You know, there, it's like the movie is obsessed with this sort of parallel um, sort of, it's like almost like a, a political equal time uh, mandate for every character. And I think some of that's good and some of that's bad because it ends up creating a lot of repetition. Um, but I think that because there was too much story from the beginning, um, and certainly I would never um, defend uh, someone like uh, like Kevin Sujihara, who I who famously came from a theme park background and who I don't believe ever had any particularly insightful opinions about storytelling as a, as the head of the studio at that time. But if they're telling him that he has to cut this movie down to whatever it is, um, I think that, you know, the unfortunate tragedy that that. Um, that you know Zack Snyder and his family suffered um paved the way for Warner Brothers to get what they want at least in the short yes. term but at the expense of uh, exactly what you said which is just not a great movie um and so now this again is a film that really just restores i mean you know Luke you mentioned the scene the Icelandic singing scene you know it's like i don't think that's a terrible scene but you're just like okay this is still going or you know it's like it's like you know if if there are things that are going to automatically end up on the cutting room floor then certainly the latte art on lois lane's coffee is certainly going to be one of the things that you don't need in this movie you know and there's many 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 more of those kinds of things that do not impact the story that do not affect the momentum or flow or tone of this movie that they that were inserted back into this film to satisfy Zack Snyder's creativity, which again, I'm totally fine with. Um, I don't think that it serves the film as a whole to the best that it could. Let me jump in here so I can sure. throw in some thoughts. Uh, on yeah, this. yeah, go For ahead. one thing, I mean, 
I, I feel like there's a there's a back to the drawing board thing we're missing as far as why things happen the way they did to begin with, which was we need to get we need to catch up to Marvel seemingly as fast as we can since we're already at Justice League. So because of that, you skipped out on having solo movies for these for Cyborg and Flash specifically, especially Cyborg since so much seems to revolve around it for this film, which. Yeah, the movie's going to be a lot more padded out because you have to explain a character that nobody really knows outside of, you know, comic fans, people that watch Teen Titans Go, like, who's Cyborg? I don't know, general audience member, and so here we have a lot of story that, yeah, it's going to make it feel a little more lopsided from that regard. And I I just wonder, like, was there, was it always, was it this necessary to get to Justice League now? Like, there was there just no time to do this uh, in, you know, a few years' time or whatnot? But that's, you know, that's asking for a different... That's a different kind of question. That just It's something I've, I'm seeing watching this movie as far as... Yeah, obviously it's going to be long if you have to introduce this whole character and give him a whole arc. That said, Ray Fisher's great in this movie. And we'll get back to this. We'll get back to more, like, stuff about this stuff. But the, you mentioning... I mean, now we're talking about this Icelandic singer thing. Like, this stuff, like, the extra stuff in here, this reflects where my feelings are on this movie as a whole... It's a weird, I feel like we're in a weird position of how to judge something like this, because uh, it's, you know, it's an HBO Max exclusive release that's designed to be this kind of finished off version of a story that Zack Snyder wanted to tell. So it's already like, we're not, I don't know what the phrase is, we're not grading on a curve, but it's like we're grading something that wasn't ever going to exist this way to begin with. Like, even if Zack Snyder made yeah. the movie he wanted to yeah. make and, ne you know, nothing happened or they waited or what have you. The theatrical version of this wouldn't be this movie. This is just what it is now. We'd probably get the two-hour, 45-minute, maybe three-hour version of this movie that would then come around. You know, there'd be an eventual home release, an HBO Max release that would be this or whatever this is. And obviously it's shaped differently because of the years since and whatever Snyder's been thinking about since then in terms of re-editing this. Regardless, it just it gives, it, it puts an asterisk over this thing to begin with. That doesn't mean we can't judge it, but it's like... It's calling this Zack Snyder's Justice League, yeah, it's the movie he wanted to make, but I understand that it's not like this is what would have come out in theaters were he to just, you know, ship it in November 2017 like nothing had happened. Mm -hmm. so, so looking at this thing, yeah, it's long. I don't disagree with that. You know, And I don't mean, I mean, I'm not against length. It's just more, what are you doing with that amount of time? And like Scott, you pointed out, the first, like, two, you know, two acts, two two chapters, whatever, they're long, and they feel they feel like they slow things down. They feel like they're bogging me down with story and character, which is fine, except there's not much momentum to this as I'm getting through here. And that, you know, was bothersome to me. Like, as far as I, if I'm trying to enjoy a movie about Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and The Flash, I feel like I should be having more fun. And it's not like that's impossible for me to do. I've enjoyed these characters in various things. I enjoy this genre. I enjoy Zack Snyder movies. So looking at all of these films now, specifically Zack Snyder's films in this universe, there's just something about the taste that I have versus what he's delivering that just isn't connecting with me that well. I wasn't big on Man of Steel. Batman v Superman I like from a visual perspective. I think there's some really creative stuff there. And it just has more weird going on in it that, than this movie. Yeah. And this, But this movie... Like, I enjoy it just fine, but it's just not something... Like, you mentioned you guys have watched it twice. I can't... I wasn't, you know, seeing it on a screener, which I was able to watch on my TV as opposed to the laptop, so yay. But, you know, I, I, I couldn't be like, let me just plop this in again right now, like, before this review or something. Like, I just... I didn't have that enthusiasm. And 
I honestly find that a shame. I'd love to love a Justice League movie. I'd love to be like, sit down and be like, yes, there's four hours of this. I'm super excited to watch that right now. But it's just like, whatever the thing is, it's just, this isn't like doing that for me. And we'll get into more of this as far as, you know, what's going on in this film or what have you. Well, I want you to talk about. But just, that's kind of the takeaway I have as of now watching this version of this movie. Just like, I don't think it's that much for me. I don't dislike it. I think it's, it's ambitious to a point as far as well he had a lot of he had some ideas that he wanted to put out here and it's very grandiose and i i can respect what the vision's trying to be it just overall isn't like the isn't the most watchable from my point of view i, I watched it um what like during the on, on um when on saturday the saturday before it came out with my lovely girlfriend we both watched this thing she had similar thoughts she was not a fan of the length she uh especially because it was we watched it at night and it was just not <laughs> the time to watch a four-hour thing but she was like well we got through like the first three parts i want to keep going so she was certainly into it to a point but yeah just the, the length wasn't help and we'll get to the epilogue but she was not a fan of the epilogue of this movie um <laughs> but regardless that's where i'm coming from i think it's it's a movie that like it for me, it worked well enough as far as, okay, they did this, and it's there, and it looks nice, but anything else is just not much going on for me that I was all that into. Uh, but we'll get, let's get more into it. Well, to the, to, the point, to the point that you brought up earlier about whether it was rushing to the Avengers or not, my recollection at the time before it came out sure. is that all the articles about DC were saying, we want to do the reverse of what Marvel's doing. We want to do ours first and then spin off the solo yeah, yeah. movies off of it to be different from Marvel. And because we think everyone already knows this, these characters, which with the possible exception of cyborg, I think it's fair that these are more iconic characters than Thor and Captain America were before the Avengers. Sure. Movie came. And like flash so, as a current TV show. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get that. Yeah. Well, so I think that was partly, they were partly rushing, but there was partly an intent that they really wanted to try to do it the opposite way. And, see if that worked and they were arrogant enough to think it would and it <laughs> didn't quite um i i do find you know i i've seen the whedon cut enough to you know recognize you know things that were different things that were the same when i was watching this and especially for the first two hours my thought was you know again you know now we know that whedon was brought in not to make a new movie but to take his footage and just cut it as much as humanly possible so when you watch the Whedon cut, it's mostly the same footage with some slight changes. You know, a battle scene that with Darkseid is now a battle scene with Steppenwolf. Um, certain lines of dialogue that are altered to make it, frankly, more of a sequel to Wonder Woman and more of a sequel to Dawn of Justice. And... Well, Snyder claims it's only 11 scenes that he kept, only 11 things that he kept, that the others were all alternate takes. Just mm. well, I, alternate takes, that's fine. I'm mean, I, I, not... When I talk about different same, I'm not, you know, I'm thinking more entirely different content. Um, I will say just to that point real quick, I do find watching this fascinating as far as how the filmmaking process works. Like yes. looking at, because it's not, you know, reshooting, like this is a complicated movie. And so the fact that there are like completely different, you know, ways scenes play out because of the dialogue or whatnot, that means like they like go back to like Iceland or whatever to film like this stuff again. Like it's like, that's, that sounds expensive. Like I, I imagine, yeah, you can, you know, fudge around with the way characters are standing in certain scenes and just, you know, re-record dialogue or whatnot. But it just, you know, if there, if there's an entertaining way to do something like this, as far as show you a, you know, a learning experience of how movies are made, like this is, 
this is something when it comes to like a high profile blockbuster film. It's like, there's, that's a lot of effort to like put it in. It makes you appreciate, it makes you appreciate color correction a lot more. Too. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah exactly. We even colored everything in a way that just looked really cheap compared to, I don't know if it's just red versus gunmetal gray, but Snyder's versions of each alternate take look way more epic, way more expensive way cooler than any of the alternate versions that were in the theatrical. Well, that's that's the thing, too. Oh. The, the the Justice League, it's just easier to say, Justice League, it's just, it's an ugly movie. That was another thing that really yeah. got me down about that film. Like, regardless of how much I enjoyed it, and I thought, I'm with Scott as far as, it's fine, as far as, like, yeah. a kind of empty-headed take on putting these people together. But, yeah, agreed. But, but this, this movie... It looks like a it looks it looks like a movie that's from the studio that brought you Lord of the Rings. That's not to say this is on par with Lord of the Rings, but it feels like this is less trying to be, you know, the superhero genre and more trying to be an actual epic. I, I wish it was more successful in that, but I, I still like I can appreciate that it even with the Academy ratio choice, it looks big. It looks huge. It feels all of the you know the work that goes into these visuals. They they feel like it all belongs together. Where, yes, it does feel like a Frankenstein movie watching the other Justice League. From the studio that brought you the nine-hour Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Well, I will say, you know, it's funny you say that, Luke, because that was actually the first comparison that I drew. Um, you know, Scott mentioned King Kong, but to me this felt like, um, like an extended edition of the Hobbit movies all sort of stuck together when without realizing that like the theatrical version of the Hobbit was too long to begin with. Like it's, it's, this makes it's, sense it, because the Hobbits are not great and King Kong's a masterpiece. So I understand where you're coming yeah, from with this reference. Yeah, at its best, it's King Kong. At worst, it's the Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like but, that. But yeah, um, no, I was, that was one of the things to me was yeah. that it's, it, you know, it is, uh, you know, to, to to your point about, you know, the way to look at this, I think we have to just take it on its own merits to some extent and w in comparison to the original cut, um, you know, without sort of the existential questions of, of would this exist in any other context or whatever that you were sort of saying earlier, Aaron. And, you know, and I think that, you know, you look at what it is, I think that it is still... Um, you know, just not a very, I mean, this is the thing to me is that like, you know, it's not, it's just not that compelling a story. And if we are going to, um, you know, look at it as uh, part of the fabric of the, of the DC movies that came before it, you know, I mean, the problem with the Superman movies that were made before this one is that, is that Zack Snyder seems like he hates Superman. I agree. I, I have mean, that literally he, written in my notes. Zack Snyder and, seems to hate Superman. <laughs> he, he does not. He, and he certainly does not seem to, you know, there's this sort of notion in this movie, which is that Superman was the embodiment of hope for the entire world. And I'm like, but why wasn't he portrayed that way in the last two Superman movies? And yeah. so the idea that that, um, you know, that Batman, for example, as a plot point and the guiding principle of this whole movie is to bring these people together to fulfill the hope of Superman to me is kind of like like just the the paperist of paper thin kind of excuses for putting this team together. I mean, you know, I like the idea. I, you know, I'll tell you, I read Walter Chaw's review of it and I thought it was a pretty remarkable review. I didn't agree with everything in it, but I, but you know, he was sort of, sort of making the observation about the way that the, of course the whole movie begins with sort of the literal reverberations of Superman's death 
um, and how that affects all these different communities. But also, like, there's a part of me that's like, well, did the people under the water even know who Superman was? And I mean, like, you know, it's like they're not. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I guess, guess, you know, but Um, it's just sort of like I think if if the idea is that it's like they're trying to appropriate to some extent sort of this idea of goodness and hope and heroism in a way that I don't think that Zack Snyder fully believes in. I mean, this is a guy who they, they have repeatedly shared his quotes about. He's like, you know, I could make the Batman movie where Batman got raped in prison. I mean, like, you know, it's like, that's not, that's, I mean, it's like, okay, maybe that is true, but also like who wants to see that, you know, like, and I'm just like, and the idea that that's sort of this impish um, idea for him to me is sort of baffling to put him in charge of creating the story of Superman's heroism, which of course gets manifested in a way that continues to baffle me in every edition of Justice League. I still don't understand why the world, why in the world he fights the other members of Justice League other than because we need an action scene in the middle of this movie. And the whole movie kind of operates on this way. It's like, well, there's sort of half an explanation, but really it's just to kind of like do something that's kind of cool and neat and so then i take it away and i'm like well what we end up with is mother boxes and a villain that looks like a boxer pug um you know and you're just like this isn't really compelling to me and so the rest of it is all the window dressing which is cool but again not substantial to me luke let me let let, let me go to you because i mean you're more positive on the film where where did you think as far in response to what todd is saying and well is it like is the story interesting to you that's pretty well uh, here as far as the last point made, the reason Superman fights the others is because he wakes up with no memory, and while he's trying to figure out what's going on, Cyborg automatically blasts a laser in his direction, so he goes into self-defense mode. So that's the simplest answer to that point. But he's um, not a robot. I mean, like, it's one thing for, like, Cyborg to be... I understand that he shoots him. I do get that. But, like, but he's not... He If he has no memory whatsoever... Like he gets shot and then you have a woman who's saying his name and she's like, we're here for you. And instead he decides he's going to fight them all. And then he gets even madder at Batman. And then Lois Lane shows up who, because his memory is gone, he should not remember. Well, I mean, I think memory's so gone up. is a bit loose. I mean, it's more, I feel like he has instincts that he's going. It's like, this thing seems familiar. This Batman seems familiar to me. I don't like this. This Lois Lane seems familiar to me. I do respect, like, I think it's slowly can't. This is too much as far as this little scene goes. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, back, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Continue. Continue. I don't mean to interrupt. I in the Whedon cut, ironically. Well, no, I mean, I think the Whedon cut clarifies that. And there's actually a lot of dialogue in there about, you know, basically like referring to Pet Cemetery. And in that sense, that makes sense. And there is dialogue to, you know, that he remembers that he hates Superman, even if he can't remember exactly why. And that so it makes sense that he remembers that he loves Lois, even though know, it takes a few minutes for him to remember why. Uh, it's part of that, you know, comic book logic. It is. Um, I mean, it's the same with like Lazarus pits. It's like, all right, I'm yeah. back, but I'm like different. <laughs> it's um, like, that's how it is. That, that's very, very good point. Lazarus pit, actually. Fascinating. What I find fascinating about the release, and without getting into, you know, criticizing the discourse or whatever, I think there's a lot of cultural amnesia going on in terms of how poorly Dawn of Justice especially was received in March, April of 2016. And you know, basically everybody that's saying, oh, wow, good for Snyder for beating back the evil tyrant studios and want to squash his vision. We're the same people writing the same stuff 
in 2016 about, oh, God, the DC Universe is screwed. What are they going to do to save it? Well, part of that is the extended cut, which most of us who were lukewarm on the theatrical were a lot more positive on, like you and I. Yes, but even that, I mean, most most people didn't see that. And Warner Brothers knows that most people, their experience with the film was the theatrical cut of Dawn of Justice. And again, I do fault them for reacting to Man of Steel by throwing in Batman, cutting Dawn of Justice to emphasize Batman, and then reacting to Dawn of Justice by centering Justice League around Batman. And, you know, again, they keep making the same damn mistake. Even now, after Wonder Woman's made, you know, $830 million, after Aquaman's made $1.1 billion, we still have an entire multiverse being created for the sole purpose of justifying multiple Batman movies. I, w- I want to hear what Luke was, was saying. I, wanna, I want okay, some more. No, no, no. Okay, so- I, I was going to go back to the point of Superman being a symbol of hope. And I think... I honestly feel like there are a lot of misreads of Man of Steel. A lot of people say, you know, Jonathan Kent doesn't want Superman to ever show his powers. That's false. He doesn't want him to show his powers until he comes of age. He constantly says, you'll be a great man and do great things someday and you'll stand up in front of the world. But for now, you can't show your powers because they're not ready for you. And essentially, you're not a legal adult yet. I don't care how many tornadoes come at me. You can't use your powers. (laughs) I would also say that Zack Snyder very much laid heavily on the imagery that Superman is Jesus, and I don't know if you get more of a symbol of hope than Jesus necessarily, especially the theological aspect of Jesus being fully human and fully divine. He has a human father, he has a divine father, so to speak, and ultimately the divine father, when he's in a, the divine father comes to him and makes himself known when he's an adult, like the Gospel of Mark, and says now you have to be the savior of these people and i don't know i always i always felt it i know everyone talks about the collateral damage or whatever i think that's an objection they don't have in a lot of other similar movies and maybe because it's superman there's a particular yeah. a particular knee jerk reaction to it but I, I would also yeah. say that one of the things with superhero movies is i feel like if i got my interpretation in a previous movie which i did with christopher reeve which I did with Batman in The Dark Knight or the Joker in Gotham. I think those are almost exactly what I want. I don't care if there's a new take. I think for a lot of people, if it's their first take and it's not what they want and they don't feel like they got their version, it makes them angrier about it. And I understand that because I remember when Michael Keaton was Batman and I thought this is going to be the only cinematic Batman of my lifetime and I'm mad that he kills people and I'm mad that he's not muscular and blah blah blah. And now we live in a world where Batman's been played by a Lego minifig. So I think people are entitled well, he also to kills people, and he's also not muscular. <laughs> well, uh, well, he I'll, has a nine you know, pack, Scott. If you don't, he, he's as muscular as any minifig is, unless you want to go. To, <laughs> unless you want to go to Mega Constructs, which is Mattel, and Mattel's Mega Constructs have muscles. Well, like I, the thing is, I I actually I totally agree with that, Luke, and I think that's like a great point, and I certainly would agree with you that you know that Zack Snyder definitely looks at him as a Christ figure, but also I think that he portrays Superman as like a civil service worker who's like begrundled in having to do this job, and begrundled? I don't even think. Uh, you know, or, or excuse me, disgruntled. Um, you know, or or you know, I like this I, new word, begrundled. Yeah, I like it too. It needs to be spelled with a D rather than a T, yes, but I like it. Yes. Um, but like you know, the the thing is, I'm I'm really only taking a, 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 like my 
interpretation is based on what this world has created, which to me is not a character who, I mean, he does, he's a hero out of seeming obligation out of there's no there, you know, he doesn't get joy out of it. I mean, like this is a guy who's like, well, I'll just stop being Superman. I mean, like that was, that was an idea that he had at the beginning of Batman versus Superman. Like when he starts having the conversations with Lois. And so you have a character who somehow has become this embodiment of hope within the world that Zack Snyder created, who I don't think that the movies serviced correctly to make that sentiment work. And so that's that's the issue that I have. But, you know, but I mean, the the. You know, I, 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 again, I agree with you, and I'm fine with a different take on it, but it's like you kind of can't have it both ways. And Zack Snyder, again, is a person who will revert to what is cool or what is muscular in a visual way. Um, before he would, before he will service either the real themes that he's that he's exercising in the story that he's telling. I mean, you know, and so you end up with a story like this, where you're like, okay, these the you know one of the things that I actually thought that Joss Whedon did really well, even though he had to condense. I don't think that the story of of uh, of Flash and his father is good at all in this. Snyder cut version. But I, one of the things that I thought that Joss Whedon did really well was they had that moment when they're going to go rescue the hostages underneath Gotham Harbor or whatever it was. And they had the conversation where Batman says to flash, he goes, just try to save one person. And, you know, he's a person, even though he didn't get his like rescue scene in that version, I thought that was like a really important moment of like learning for that character that explained so much that meant that this was a person who wanted to help but was afraid and who had not encountered situations like this but like the idea that these people are all pretty fully formed and yet they can be totally contradictory in whatever their their life ethos is to me throughout the movie is what becomes frustrating i mean you have a scene where wonder woman diffuses and and disables all these terrorists and then the next thing that she does is create more property damage and destroys a human being um more than the people who are the terrorists that she's stopping. to be fair if the terrorists planned work they would have destroyed four city blocks as they bragged about i mean she minimalized the that, potential that, thing that terrorist first tried to blow up a bunch of children and then decided to machine gun them for sport. Mm-hmm. Kind of had it coming. Well, I'm not yeah. suggesting he didn't yeah, have yeah. it coming, but but I'm talking about the idea that if she's able to stop this person in the way that she was, that she does, then the end of the scene shouldn't be her creating a sonic boom that blows the whole wall off of this room that these children are hiding in. I can agree and, that the character that's been established in this world seems different in her movie versus this film. You yeah. know. And they're just, oh. there's just so many of those kinds of things. It's like, it's like, you know, and, the, and again, I think it goes back to what Luke was talking about, which is that like, there can be a unique or different version, whether it's a multiverse as, 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 as Scott was talking about in terms of creating all these different ones, but like the idea that, you know, the, the way these characters exist is so different than the way that they're, they exist in the Marvel universe, which is not necessarily a hundred percent, you know, hermetically sealed and accurate, but like, you know, you're like, okay, so now in 2017, like, like Diana is still pining for Chris Pine. I mean, like, you know, it's like, she hasn't had any life experience in 
you know, 70 years. There's just so many things like that that these movies are leaving themselves exposed to. And and quite frankly, when you have storytelling that's this unhurried and that has so much air in it, all you have left to do is think about why these things don't hold together. So it's that's that's a, that's a fair way to put it as far as as um, far as why these thoughts come up because yeah there is a, just there's a lot of time that we're just in this thing without having much to do with this thing and I feel like that's a, that kept being that became an an issue for me as far as why I want to find this more interesting than it seems to want me to have to have it and it, I yes. it, 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 and it's a shame and it's I'm not trying to compare it to other movies that exist in this genre but it's it's hard not to see those similarities. So when I do, it just feels less special getting, you know, this, no matter how good it looks or how, you know, what I like seeing in these characters compared to other characters, I, I'm not getting much more than, you know, a guy wants to find special objects to combine them and destroy everything. It's like, all right, like, I kind of got that. I mean, it, and that's not a fault of the film or, you know, it's a comic book, but you know, you're, you're, there's only so many options that you have to take when it comes to superpowered beings going against each other. But this one just it's just less interesting to me inherently. Did you guys read the Collider editorial today about Steppenwolf about how he's the ultimate terrible. the ultimate middle management doofus and he keeps <laughs> he keeps trying to get his boss on a Zoom call and he keeps getting blown off by his boss's assistant. All, all, all of that was more you know I was more compelled by that than anything Steppenwolf did in yeah. this movie. <laughs> I think that for me the big problem with the Snyder film and you know I oh yeah in terms of Man of Steel my biggest problem with the movie is that the world is at stake so quickly that Clark really never has to make a choice to become Superman. What's he going to do? Let Earth die just for shits and giggles? Where is he going to live? <laughs> um, and, and the fact that he's the idiot that touches the button that brings Zod to Earth. That, and that was my only issue with the collateral damage, the fact that he's indirectly responsible for it. Having said that, I think there's a huge contradiction in all three of these movies in that Snyder wants to tell whether they are deconstructions or whether they're just more modern slash more realistic or just different interpretations of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and the likes, he also still, or they, the producers, try to sell you the lie that these films are still supposed to make you feel conventionally good in the way a stereotypical Superman or a stereotypical Wonder Woman movie is supposed to be. You know, Man of Steel tries to convince you at the end that it's at the same ending as a Christopher Reeve Superman movie. And you can't have it both ways. You can't have a deconstruction and still do hopey, changey Superman inspiration to everybody. You can't how have is it Batman different from Superman. the Superman 2 ending, realistically? Zod gets that? killed. How is it different from the Superman 2 ending? The city gets trashed, Zod, Nana, and Ursa get killed, and uh, then, Super, and then all, Superman goes back to a doctor to beat up the bully. Yeah, so I don't really like Superman 2 for those reasons. Be honest, uh, but as for the you know, again, I, I never had a problem with him killing Zod in Man of Steel because it's clearly presented as a not oh no Superman killed the guy it's oh God he you know he killed the last you know literally the last son of Krypton to save a random Earth family you know that is the choice that he's making you know he's rendering himself yeah. once again totally alone to say okay I'm an Earthling first I, I, so that I, never bothered. I, yeah, I don't have a problem with that specific. This is a different movie review. I don't have a problem with that specifically. It's just yeah. more of well, they wrote it that way. They could have just not written yeah. it that way. To begin. I mean, that's, and, that's kind of well, you know, you you can't necessarily do something like Batman v Superman, which I think is compelling in the sense that it's a Superman who is basically crippled by indecision because 
he is acutely aware of the social and political consequences of his every action. But then also at the end of the movie where, oh, he's died, he's an inspiration to everyone. Again, I, I think the films, whoever is to blame, tries to have it both ways, where they try to tell you know, different Superman stories while expecting you to feel the same way that you feel in a conventional Superman story. Okay, we're, we're talking we're talking a lot about Superman, who makes up maybe five minutes of this movie. So let's well, move on. I, <laughs> I, I did just want to add, and only just to punctuate what you just said, Aaron, uh, uh, Aaron Sorry, is no. that is that no no I, no I'm talking about you. Is okay. that is that is that the one of the things that this movie is even more consciously doing in this Snyder cut is how aggressively it's trying not to use Superman, which is sort of the band aid that could save any problem. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, that's the thing is that you, it's so much more obvious watching this version that they're like, how long can we keep Superman from being in this movie? Mm -hmm. And so you have all these scenes, these, you know, repetitive and, okay. and sort of melancholy scenes where he's like walking around and I'm like, okay, well, so get your memory back or don't get your memory back or whatever you're doing. But like, clearly he can do anything and solve any problem. And the movie just needs for him to be not in it as long as possible, because otherwise the movie would be over in five minutes. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so, so yeah, so I, that, that was what I, I, that's all I wanted to add. Go ahead, uh, Aaron. I apologize. Well, yeah. So let's move on to other things about this film that concern like the main stuff. I mean, I, I, I asked you a question, Luke. I, like, did you find this story compelling? And I think we can use that as a breakaway to get to the other things that are happening within it. But do you, like, do you generally find like this particular Justice League story like interesting? Well, I find the film compelling. I don't know to what extent. It it depends how you qualify story. I mean, like, 2001 is my favorite movie. Is it because of the story of an alien that's evolved humans, or is it because? of the atmosphere of the pacing of the feeling that you're in outer space, et cetera. Fair point. So, so there's a bit of that, that here. And obviously this couldn't have been intentional at the time, but I like the emptiness of it. It feels like a post pandemic superhero movie. <laughs> and when I saw Joss Whedon's version, I just felt like this feels like the animated DC movies where they just can't afford to animate a crowd. So there's no extras. Uh, but when I, <laughs> but seeing this now, it feels like, okay, I kind of feel like I am in an empty world where we've lost a sense of hope and we are bitterly divided. And some of that may have been intended in the editing. It obviously wasn't during production, although Trump had been elected, so there was a sense that there was this division that was just going to get worse and worse. And by the way, I noticed that the homeless guy who says I tried is out of there, which means that was probably the obvious Joss Whedon joke. Everyone thought it was. Um, so I find I find the atmosphere compelling. Whether the specific story about Steppenwolf and Darkseid is compelling is is not as big a deal to me. I find it compelling enough because I like the personal stories of these characters. I like the vibe they have. I like seeing them inhabit the world. I like feeling that the world is sort of lost and they're trying to figure out what to do about it. That really works for me. And this is slightly off topic, but one thing about The Flash, one reason that I like him being more experienced than having to begin is because continuity-wise in Suicide Squad, he busted Captain Boomerang all by himself. So yeah. he is an experienced hero in the DCEU. Sure. And, you know, again, I, I, 
it was kind of six to one, half dozen to the other. But but honestly, my memories of the Whedon version were were certainly faded by the time I watched the Zach uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and that was a moment that I remember really liking because um, the idea. I mean, it, it's 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 certainly ameliorated here because they have a scene where he saves the Kiersey Clemens character, and there's and there's other things that already happened. But I just did like. That's one of the things that I that for better or for worse, I think Whedon does really well is finding, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I think it veers sometimes or frequently into snark or, you know, sort of a, a glib joke. But I do think that he's able, you know, to find these good moments of humanity that are interesting sort of character building blocks that that I always thought that was like really nice uh, in in as this team is coming together because I mean quite frankly um, to that point I feel like he could have stopped a guy who was a thief or a whatever um, but also like the idea of encountering an army of you know, uh, demon parademons is not the same thing as even saving that girl when she gets in a car accident. And, uh, and, and I think that, you know, like that was something that I, that kind of resonated with me that, that I will say I missed slightly, even though I feel like there are other things in the movie that make up for that. In and my, I guess, I guess my issue was more with the line in Joss's cut where he's like, Oh, I'm not really a hero. I just kind of run up to people really fast and push them. Mm. It's mm. like, no, you captured one of the most dangerous criminals who's in one of the most dangerous, one of the most secure lockdowns in the DC universe. You, you don't suck that bad. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it's an oversimplification, as he would say. Um, I, I, I want to point out point out one thing as far as you know. We're talking about like you're talking about how this film was compelling to you, and I will say yeah. an angle I started looking at it at was something that. Um, that Anna, that that my girlfriend, that she suggested when watching this movie and put in her own review is these characters and Scott, you kind of mentioned this too. The way they're presented here is, I mean, in addition to being kind of visualized as mythic beings or godlike beings um, in a world where Greek gods actually existed, which is still weird to think about, um, they're <laughs> they're also like they're loners and and many of them are grieving to some capacity. And yeah. I, I didn't think about that before until until she pointed that out to me. It's like oh, they are like all in this weird state of mourning for whatever thing Batman has beyond his general moodiness. He has Superman's death at his hand at his feet. Uh, Wonder Woman, for whatever reason, can't get over Chris Pine. Aquaman is choosing to isolate himself by being a man who discards clothes anywhere he goes, but also saves people occasionally. Uh, Cyborg has obvious issues. And yeah, even the Flash is, you know, needs friends. So I. I that was stuff where I'm like, I, I want to like dive into that more, like as far as watching this movie went, because it's like I, I that's a neat. I mean, given given how he's shooting these people, where everything feels a certain level of epic, just you be, be between the use of close ups and just the just the nature of what a Zack Snyder film tends to look like. I, I like that presentation because you have these characters that are, you know, in the defining that they, he can do of them for this movie. At least that's something I can grasp onto. And that was something, I mean, that was something that I definitely, I think I mentioned it earlier, was that this theme runs throughout. I mean, you have a conversation between Barry and his father, where his father says, you need to move on and, and live your life and not live in the, the past of his uh, misdeeds or, you know, his perceived misdeeds. Um, you know, um, 
Lois has that conversation with uh, Martian Manhunter, or or excuse me, with uh, with, with Martha Kent, um, where she says, you know, you need to stop grieving and you need to move on, and that's something that they all have a version of in this movie. And parts of those things are obviously built into their individual origin stories, but I did think that was a really interesting idea. Not so much even that um, that there was mourning or there was grieving, but that in most of the cases or almost all the cases, it was parents who were telling their children or a child who they were cared for that they need to, you know, start living their life again. And that, and that, I mean, that to me thematically was certainly the thing that sort of merged everything because certainly what, uh, the character that Amber Heard plays, I mean, she even has that conversation with, um, with Aquaman about, you know, it's like, you know, your mother made this impossible choice and you shouldn't, you know, don't continue living in a in a bitter past, but be in the optimistic um, future. Now, I did think there were interesting elements that were maybe not fully sketched in, and clearly they weren't for, because of some of the things that happened in later movies. But also, like you know, there was a sort of interesting like the Ray Fisher, you know, obviously cyborg, he's angry at his father for not being there, but also it sound it seems to me like his father also would have been killed in that same accident were it not for the fact that he was working. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, I don't think that's something that would be parsed in any sort of dramatic way, but there were just sort of, again, these sort of questions that were interesting to me uh, that I feel like went unanswered, but thematically were very intriguing. His father's a really good driver. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that stuff was kind of yellow highlighted in theatrical cut. Uh, in a very efficient way. Uh, I mean, all you know, again, these are the same arcs that were in the the weed cut, just somewhat cut down for clarity. Well, I mean, the cyborg arc um, isn't the same though, because like Silas Stone is like was, they're like yeah. you know they're like best buds at the end of the weed and cut versus. Well, the... That's what's interesting in the weed and cut. And again, you know, tomato tomato. He seems to be more angry at his father in the theatrical cut for basically not for letting him die, for not letting him die. You know, as if, you know, how dare you try to now retroactively play the hero? Wait, um, in the theatrical? And while his anger in the yes, he's you know, pretty, he's pretty angry at his dad in the Zack Snyder's Justice. No, he game. is, but no, I mean he's angry in both. What I'm saying is, in in, in the theatrical cut, it's it's that's the only part of the theatrical cut that I think is subtler than in the the we, the, the Snyder cut. In the Snyder cut, he comes out and says, you know, if you hadn't been working, mom would still be alive. Oh well, yeah, I mean so that. That that gets um, that gets to another one of my main kind of uh, something that kind of held me back. I don't think the writing yeah. often supports the character motivations. I think it's too That's either true. either on the uh, nose or just ham fit. Like there's, I don't know. There's there's like that scene where they're about to wake up, super wake up. They're about to bring they're about to resurrect Superman, and Aquaman there's like I don't think we should do this. And Batman's like no, it's gonna work. And it's like geez, Batman, calm down. It's just like there's a lot of stuff also, like that. You would think that, 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 that was that, 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 with the new dialogue, with the new, you know, the, the Whedon reshoots. And a lot of what the reshoots were, especially retroactively, were to make the plot points, you know, frankly, somewhat on the nose, somewhat very clear, uh, and to make the character arcs very clear and very succinct and for brevity, because this was a two-hour movie, and in a way that more explicitly tied the story to Wonder Woman and Batman v Superman while highlighting the two most popular characters, which are Batman and Wonder Woman. Um, Todd, Todd, what were you going to say? 
Oh, only that, uh, you know, I, that was certainly was something that I, I thought about as well. I mean, you have that scene where you feel like it's kind of late at this point for you guys to have second thoughts about doing this. Like you've all gathered yeah. inside Superman's ship and there's, you know, unfortunately I think this is a product of probably the editing um, even more than the storytelling is that you have multiple sequences, multiple moments like that, like, you know, at the beginning um, with the, the mother box that's in the mascara is like, there's, it just keeps going and going and going. And you're like, well, we're going to add in another hero beat here. And I'm like, but it feels like the point should be for them to get that thing away from him as quickly as possible. Or, you know, if we've already set up this entire scenario where we're going to have flash, you know, run up, then we should probably have like, that should already have been decided. Or if we're going to have him do a sort of mini version of Superman, you know, reversing time uh, outside of the the uh, power plant where uh, where Steppenwolf's you know lair is, then like we probably should have just cut to the chase in a literal way much more quickly rather than having him run and run and run and run and then all of a sudden Cyborg, even though he's been going straight to the hoop for like the last five minutes, all of a sudden he decides he's going to have a doubt or a pause or a whatever it is, and these things happen like in about four or five different big pivotal moments of this movie where I'm like, you just need to cut a few of those beats out because I think that that would intensify the dramatic weight of these scenes much better than having sort of by dragging them out and having us wait. And then, because like you, in that final sequence, in that big thing, you have these, these parademons who were shooting lasers at them, which is okay. That's what you're going to do now. You're going to have laser, laser guns. That's fine. But like, they should be shooting at him the whole time or, or they should shoot at him in a very specific way to just knock him out. Because like this is, it becomes this very laborious way to get to whatever the thematic idea or whatever the point of the dramatic height of the moment is. And, and unfortunately that's a product of, I think Zack Snyder again, and, and Chris Terrio and, and Will Beal having too much story to go around and then not being able to pair back or, or in this case, I do think, as we talked about before, I think it's like, it's very much an assembly cut with finished visual effects. And so you end up with this thing that's just over long and it weighs everything down in exactly the way that you talked about Aaron, where it's no longer, it's not even like it's, it doesn't have to be joyful in order to be fun. It can be exciting and thrilling, but like it's, it just becomes like, like just like a, it's like molasses. It's just oppressively uh, serious and 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 unhurried, and it, and it bec and it, and you stop enjoying anything about it. See, so. I, I I I didn't quite find it aggressively serious in the same way I found Batman v Superman aggressively serious, and and I feel like that's something that actually made me like BVS more because it became to the point of parody in that film as far as sure. how angry everybody <laughs> yeah. was. Let alone, again, the side of weird that is basically everything involving Jesse Eisenberg, whether it's Holly Hunter's stuff or him just saying things out loud and showing us how his mind works. Like, th that movie had this kind of extra edge going for it where it's like, well, this story is ridiculous, but at least it's like going for it as far as being weird. Like, I, something I, I don't know how Zack Snyder did it, but I do like the fact that he's been giving a lot of money to just basically make art films. Like, that's, <laughs> that, that is impressive to me. 
uh, much like how I like like I don't know like Peter Weir getting to make Master Commander. He made like a 150 million dollar art movie with that film. This is you know different as far as the kind of excess that we're seeing here. One's a masterpiece, and these are Zack Snyder movies, but. <laughs> The fact that he's been given, you know, all this money to make like a Watchmen movie, multiple Superman and Batman movies now, let alone whatever the hell else he has coming. It's it's neat to, like he must be great at the pitch meetings for these things because it's it's he it gets to keep doing it and keep doing it in his in his very specific style. Uh, and so, but I like, bring that back to here. It it's not as aggressively angry, and that I mean that's kind of what made it I don't know limper in my mind. It's like okay, we're yeah. going. I wouldn't say going through the motions, but in terms of how you're trying to rope me into this film, it it doesn't have like more of that other stuff going on to like capture my attention in that same way. So I'm just I'm despite whether or not the themes are more have more resonance to Snyder in light of you know personal situations of the last couple of years, it does feel to a point like a less personal picture. Than something like, you know, Batman v Superman, where it's it's full Snyder, in the same way that you know, quality notwithstanding, Batman Returns is pure Burton, or Dark Knight is pure Nolan. Uh, this feels almost like, I mean, it, it, it to a certain extent, it was always going to be something of a course correction, in that you know, the very grim, dark Empire Strikes Back is going to be followed by a slightly more optimistic Return of the Jedi. Um, but, you know, maybe just because it's a four hours long and there's no real editing choices being made, it really lacks the propulsive urgency of even the three-hour cut of Batman v Superman. I me, mean, say what you will about a movie. That, that puppy moves. Let me, let me ask a question. Uh, uh, Todd, you, are, you already said that you generally like Zack Snyder. Yeah. Uh, Scott, we all know that, or at least the, the internet all knows that you hate him and wish him nothing but terrible pain for the rest of his life. Um, uh, but seriously, yeah. you actually do more or less like a lot of his movies. Uh, I I like Zack Snyder to a point. I, I mean, the movies I like, I like. I, I'm a huge fan of Dawn of the Dead, and I think 300's a lot of fun. And his Owl movie that I, I don't need to waste time trying to get all the syllables right, I quite enjoy that one as well. I, I mean, most of his movies I, I'm a fan of. Uh, Luke, where are you with Zack Snyder in general? Like, I know you like, you know, these movies, uh, but where, where I like, you? I like pretty much all of them. The ones, I mean, the one that I'm not with is Sucker Punch, but I haven't seen the extended cut, and now I'm sort of thinking maybe I will, because I feel like with that, like he was trying to do the singing detective, but he's not Dennis Potter and his reach really exceeded his grasp, at least in the theatrical version. So I will revisit the longer version. Other than that, I'm down with all of them with the caveat that it's usually the extended version. I think the four hour Watchmen with the cartoon bits spliced in is the only way to go on that one. I wish it were six hours. Hmm. Uh, the owl movie used to be my absolute favorite one. I think the Superman trilogy is kind of edging up there for me. But yeah, I'm generally a fan. I haven't felt the need to revisit Dawn of the Dead, though I liked it fine. I look forward to seeing what he does with Army of the Dead. Uh, but in terms of this being pure Zack Snyder, this might be pure Zack Snyder where he is now, because understand, we haven't seen a movie from him since the theatrical cut, which has been four years now. Yeah. So this this might be him the way he is, and the fact that Army of the Dead already has like a prequel movie that's going to be in German as well as an anime spinoff implies that he has not extended into the realm of brevity in any way, shape, or form. 
at least he's found a way to divide it up in terms of instead of um, packing it all into one thing. I do yeah. think there's something to be said of his occasional inability to deliver what is necessary commercially and maybe artistically in a theatrical length picture. It's, you know, you know, Dawn of Justice really only works for me in the three hour version. I like the theatrical punch of Sucker Punch, but the extended cut is certainly a better, purer experience. It's it's not much longer though either, right? Isn't no, it? It's only, it's, like, not. it's only like two hours it's, and change. No, it's about twenty minutes longer, give or take. Um, but I'll, I'll sorry, go ahead. Yeah, not not all. Yeah, the, the Owl movie is fine as it is. Three hundred and Dawn of the Dead. I actually I've never seen the extended Dawn of the Dead. It's, I mean, extended's um, a bit much. It's maybe like five yeah, minutes. Yeah. There's just like yeah. alternate takes of some sort. I didn't know there was yeah. one. It's, yeah, it's it's the universal, so it's that unrated cut version of uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, it's just a little extra shit. Yeah. Um, um, but no, I, I, I do... But yeah, I mean, my, my biggest thought of this is A, whether or not he's an asshole in real life and whatever, I think there's something to be said for how Whedon took this four hours of footage and down to a very coherent two hour popcorn picture while frankly keeping the spirit of a lot of the footage, if not the actual footage itself. Because I think a lot of the extended cut is stuff that is, even if it's just a flash and a montage here or there, is somewhat present in the two hour version. But having said that, you know, again, I, I, I'm annoyed that Warner Brothers keeps doubling down on Batman whenever they get into a corner and it got them into trouble with Batman meets Superman and it got them into trouble here. And I think whatever, you know, whether or not a theatrical length version of this film with a bigger, more prominent role for Cyborg would have been more commercially successful, it would have at least been of some kind of artistic and commercial value. While now, the, you know, the theatrical version is, is a watch. And this HBO Max one, I mean, yes, it exists, but yay, it's going to drive subscriptions. Yippee skippy. So what? I I want to get us to the performances, but Todd, were you going to say something? Only that, um, you know, I do feel like uh, I, uh, I, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me, I mean, we can talk about the four by three aspect ratio, which I thought was sort of hilarious, most of all, but um uh, I mean, that was my reaction, most of all. Um, but, you know, I, I was sitting in this movie and I frequently was just sort of astonished at some, the way that he creates images. Now, again, I don't necessarily feel like that that means that they are tethered to uh, a narrative purpose or even a dramatic purpose other than it's their own coolness or their own amazing sort of inventiveness. Um, you know, whether it's slow motion, whether it's just sort of, you know, whatever, but I, but you know, that's one of the things that I've always liked about his films. And I thought it was really interesting that, you know, his first couple of films really were um, adapting um, these sort of, in a way, sacred texts in a, in a very literal way. I mean, 300 was not something I knew necessarily before uh, the film version, but, you know, he adapted it very, uh, very directly. And Watchmen was very much the same. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting that he came from this extremely, like, sort of static image 
um, sort of technique of adapting those. And then when he sort of came into his own as a filmmaker, like he sort of continued to understand. It was sort of like, um, it was sort of like, uh, you know, keyframe animation where he just knew it's like, if I just can get to this pose or to this image, then, you know, that will sort of unite all these other images that I've worked on. And I think that, um, and so like for better, or for worse, as I was watching Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, I was really impressed. And I'm like, I, 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 you know, and I mean, for all I know, there are plenty of other people who can do a lot of these things that he does, but I just am sort of like, I was, I was impressed by it. And so I was, and, and I think that's one of the reasons uh, probably more than anything else, why I was able to watch it. I was like, this is really like an Alex Ross painting come to life yeah, uh-huh. in a lot of sequences that I re- and I really admire that. Um, unfortunately, I don't always feel like it, it works for the actual story, but I, I also kind of accept that to some extent with his movies as, as a, you know, a trade-off for, for what I, what I'm going to get. One thing I feel about him when I thought more about watching justice league is, I feel like he has impulses to be Terrence Malick and impulses to be Michael Bay. And sometimes those two things work together and sometimes they really don't. Well, certainly that was the case with uh, Man of Steel. Absolutely. I mean, that was that was the way everybody characterized that movie. And I think that, you know, it it, it clashed where the story was concerned. But I do think that his ability to create these amazing images is is one of the reasons that I think that that movie was. Uh, I think one of the reasons it worked as well as it did. So let's uh, let's move into more specifically on the on the you know the league itself, the actual characters in this film. Um, and I think we could start with, as we've mentioned, Cyborg a number of times. We could start with Ray Fisher since he's basically the lead of this movie. Um, it it is kind of amazing to look at that Justice League version and realize how how he how how so effectively he was taken out of that movie, given how much there is here. Like it's, I, I, I can't, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to think of someone that was demoted so incredibly, uh, you know, in a, in an alternate cut of a movie. But I, I do think that he is quite a, I mean, I, I found him very intriguing in the, in that cut of the film, as far as I want to know more about this guy. There's something about Fisher's presence that really radiated, uh, whether or not that's because yes, he is a black superhero in a, in a world where that's not all that common, especially cinematically. I, I don't know, but like, just watching that and then watching this where he's like, okay, there's a lot here. I, I can't say that every single minute of it was like, man, this is the best. I can't wait to get more of this. But at the same time, I was still like, I, I there were things were the relationship not so strained for him and WB. I very much would have hoped to have seen a cyborg movie. So I don't know where to come out with that, but where are you guys on with, uh, with Ray Fisher in, in this film? I thought he gave the best performance in the theatrical cut with the hardest role. Because it was, you know, somewhat cut down and rejiggered. He wasn't the lead. He wasn't the comic relief. He was the other guy. The one that most people don't know all that much about. But he, you know, by the, you know, it, it, it's, it was just a very strong, thoughtful, nuanced, dramatic performance. Um, and obviously him getting a spotlight in this version, you know, only, you know, he's obviously better in this one by default. Um, it helps that he gets to act off of uh, Joe, Joe Morton. Morton. And frankly, it helps that his montages are narrated by Joe Morton, which you know makes it yeah. sound very soothing and lyrical, even when, frankly, if you're paying attention to what he's saying, this guy's kind of terrifying. 
Senator <laughs> Kelly is right. Yeah, I'm all for more Joe Borden in general. Like, he's yeah. just great. So, I mean, I would. I, I was just going to say, I would agree with that. I mean, it's funny that you saying that sort of galvanized that thought in my head more than anything, which was that I do think that he is uh, certainly by virtue of being in the film more. I think that he makes a much stronger impression. I think he gives a good performance. Um, I do also think that like the way that the movie sort of, you know, gives Joe Morton the responsibility of, of creating a degree of gravitas for his character, not through, not through not one, but two off camera narrated sort of grandiose speeches is, you know, I mean, like I sort of also understand why it, you know, like you maybe didn't need both of them. Like, I mean, like, I think as a coda at the end of the film, that's like, listen, I've, this is, I, as he says, he's like, that was me as a scientist. This is me as your father. And I think like he could say all that stuff and it would be powerful. And it certainly would relate to every, all, all the rest of the characters and everything. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of utterly baffled at the way that Ray Fisher, quite frankly, sort of handled everything to some extent, because I say this liking him and having absolutely no grudge against him and, and, and being entirely sympathetic to feeling like he's been uh, marginalized and, and, you know, excluded from a process and now having sort of, um, you know, killed his career, unfortunately kind of in the crib um, by, because he basically told Warner brothers, he won't work with them if they, and they're like, okay, well, if you won't work with us, then I guess we'll do something else. Like, I mean, to yeah. me, that was kind of the thing that was sort of so surprising to me. I mean, because, and I, I tried to investigate a little bit and, and out of genuine, uh, you know, empathetic curiosity going like, well, so what happened? And like, I couldn't find any real information that explained to me what it was that had truly happened that, and, and then further to that end, exactly what would happen short of them getting rid of like top level executives, which unfortunately I just don't think they were ever going to do. And then saying, well, I won't work with you in that case. And then Warner brothers going, I don't think that's a bluff. That's him saying I won't work with them. And yeah. so putting, putting the studio in a position to go, okay. I mean, you know, I mean like not in a, not in a cruel way and not in a hurtful way, but going like, if you're not going to work with us, then we do have to make another decision. And so like, I kind of, uh, you know, it's like, it's disappointing that we will not get to see him appear in other, uh, be it Warner brothers movies or other DC movies. Um, but again, I think he's good. Uh, but I, I just find like, it, it's one of these things that particularly to whatever extent he has been vindicated by this version will be sort of that much more kind of unfortunate, you know, because we won't get to see what happens in the future. Well, to that him. particular character, I think, I mean, the silver lining, I think, is, well, Pete, we're not the only ones that saw Ray Fisher in this movie. I mean, he'll, there's other studios and he'll, I, it, it'd be, I'd be hard pressed to think, well, he's never working again. I'd, even like Zack Snyder could pick him up for one of his Netflix adventures at this point. I mean, there's there's more things out there for him to do beyond yeah, just playing I mean, Victor Stone. For, for me, you know, I, I, again, I, I, from what I've gathered, it was, you know, the situation where whether or not his accusations were truthful, it was a situation where the people that were directly responsible were no longer in a position of being penalized for it. So, you know, Walter Hamada cannot retroactively 
fire Joss Whedon from a film that is done. And to the extent that he may, you know, he was tossed off the HBO Max The Nevers, well, I could put two and two together and maybe, you know, that that's in this case what accountability looks like. But, you know, to, I, I think it's unfortunate that he then directed his ire at Walter Amata, a guy that wasn't even in that capacity when Justice League was being made. And, you know, I, I again, I don't want to sound like I'm sticking up for the big evil studio, but as someone that liked him in this movie, and I, you know, frankly, I would have rather he kept his mouth shut and gotten paid lots of money to make other movies in other circumstances whether it's in D.C., whether it's at Disney, whether it's some A24 art house film, you get the award buzz. There's more to life than just does he play Cyborg in the next D.C. Films films. And I worry, again, except that it's my business, I know it's not. I want to see more of him in stuff. Um, and I, I, it's frustrating to me that the possible impact that this cut might have done for his career is arguably equaled, if not surpassed, by the public statements that he's made online. And Whether that's and, not, and yeah. I was just, yeah, I was just gonna say, and that's that actually is what I'm I'm talking about too, Aaron. You know, I mean, you're right that there are other studios and there, there are other people, but the truth is that like he is just starting in his career, and he has made this the cornerstone of his identity Fair. as a as a burgeoning. Um, actor and star and you know it's sort of like one of those things where it's like well do you want to risk getting in the crosshairs of 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 this person who seems to have on their first breakthrough opportunity they had such a spectacularly terrible experience that they have spent the last four years like talking about it in very bizarrely unspecific terms publicly because that was the whole thing to me as I was like just and I mean I assume that there's nothing like egregious in terms of you know a physical violation or anything like that but it's one of those situations where I'm like why don't you just say what happened like I'm like I you know he keeps going well there's going to be an investigation and they go all right we'll do an investigation and then it doesn't come back the way he wants and so it's like so that means the investigation is not valid. I mean, I, I and I don't know. I mean, I'm I, I don't pretend to be in any of those rooms, but I do know that this is the kind of uh, attention that is not good at the beginning of somebody's career. And I don't think that you know the result is going to be everybody opening their doors and saying, you know, I really want to work with this guy, you know, who has made his social media accounts an ongoing. Uh, grist mill for you know the offenses that he perceives to be in at a time when his career barely was off the ground. I don't think so, it's impossible, but I know what you're saying. I, I yeah, the, it's yeah. that it I mean, stacks it's, certain odds against him, especially you know a young black man in this industry. I, I get where that comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, well, I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to go too far because we got so many other things we can well, still talk about here. I just I just want to say something on this here. I mean, selfishly, sure. I'm with you guys. I want to see him in a lot more stuff, but. I also think if there's going to be changes against horrible bosses in the studio system, what it's going to take is a guy who has a successful stage career. He got one movie role. He doesn't give a damn if he gets another one. He's mm -hmm. going to speak his mind. It takes someone like that because nobody who is dependent on that future movie career in their right mind is going to speak up about that kind of thing. And so I'm, 
I'm glad there are. If it turns out he's a complete liar, okay, I'll I'll be like, okay, I was wrong. <laughs> that is that was not the way to go. But I think we need people like him more to speak up for that than to just entertain us. You're not wrong, because I mean, you look at the people that have maintained power for a long time because no one was standing up until they felt it was the time was right to do so. Like, I, I get sure. where you're coming from. I, sure. again, I can't, we can't keep going down this rabbit hole because there's still so much to talk about. This, is, right. this isn't even the movie. I'll talk about his acting if you want. I, do, do you I have anything different to say about Ray Fisher in this movie? <laughs> I, I do. I do actually, because of COVID and because of zoom, you know, my wife is an actress, so I've been hearing her acting classes. I've been helping her out with her auditions and stuff. And, one of the things that one of the things that actors talk about is being very still and throwing the dialogue away and how if you want to you know for the if you want to act for the camera make it smaller and smaller and throw your lines away and he's really the only one of the main cast that is doing that you know ben affleck as batman is punching keywords aquaman is kind of bellowing his words and flash is talking as quickly as possible Ray Fisher is just conveying the emotion and he's throwing the words away and it makes them that much more powerful. That's a good, so. that's a good read on it. Cause yeah. I agree. And I think, I mean, I would say some of these things that the other characters doing fit the character they're portraying, but yes, in terms of, especially when it comes to a character like cyborg, who yes, I mean, we're less familiar with by comparison. It, it, you know, it gives him a certain quality. Um, and what, you know, whatever that casting was, cause this easily could have been some, you know, quote unquote, higher profile actor that could have landed this role. Not to say that like Jason Momoa or Gal Gadot at the time were, you know, huge stars in their own right. But it is, you know, there was a lot of success in this casting uh, for Victor Stone. And uh, Snyder is great at casting overall. I mean, for casting Gal Gadot, casting Momoa, most of the Watchmen cast, I think everyone agrees with the possible exception of Malin Ackerman that they were pretty solid across the board as well. So right, he really, right, do, he really does pretty good. No, I've I've argued, even in my you know nitpicky post that you know for casting the DC universe as he did, he deserves the same kind of honorary Oscar that Chris Columbus damn well deserves for casting the first Harry Potter film. But no, yeah, I, I agree I with you. It's, it's 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 a genuinely subtle performance in a cast that comparatively is a little showboaty by default. And yeah, it, it, and I said I think it's the hardest role in the film because of that, um, because it's not. Uh, an overacting performance because it's not comedic relief. He's just the guy that's also there for most general audiences. And I'm being redundant, so I'm going to move on. To go to the other end of that spectrum, let's talk about Ezra Miller a little bit because he is, I mean, we've, I feel like, you know, we've seen this performance essentially already in the other Justice League movie, but there's there any new thoughts on him given the expansion of the character this time around? I feel like they made him more of a speed freak, more hyper-caffeinated this time, especially in the pet shop scene. He is talking way faster and way more jittery than any of the other lines in the movie. And this isn't about his performance, but I think there's a real challenge with the fact that you've had two different versions of Quicksilver on screen already doing the speed effects very differently mm -hmm. to still do one that's a little different. And it's a lot like the Fox Quicksilver, but it's different enough that I think they found a good niche there for that. I do like that there's considerations to be made for it's like, well, we have a lot of fast people. How do we make that look a new way? And you're right. 
I I just I don't find it destructive, but it's like this just seems like it upsets things every time he shows up somewhere. <laughs> That's the kind of impression that I get. Um, I would say the only I mean I think he's I think he's fine in the movie. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he seems to be able to how he seems to have the luck to be able to disappear accusations against him. Uh, and and I don't know enough about them to to verify or refute. I'm just saying that it's interesting that you know in a year particularly where there is such uh, intense accountability being called upon for people that you know he's kind of getting kind of skirting by um i think that he's good again i don't think that the story of his father is particularly interesting and i find it it's just like some of the dialogue is so weird to me like the whole conversation where he has with billy crudup where he's like this guy's foot is in the door i'm like are you guys like speaking a foreign language i'm like you don't have not heard the phrase this guy has his foot in the door you know like it's just these really strange things um i another example I, where the weekly cut is edited for clarity yeah um you know i will say i think that um i I think the, you know, I think he obviously has a unique element to his superpower. I do think one of the problems also with this movie is that, is that it sort of flattens a lot of the superpowers between all the characters because clearly Wonder Woman can move really fast and Superman can move really fast. And so it's like all these people who are basically doing kind of the same thing to some extent. And it's like, the fact that they, I would say that I don't feel like they are able to consistently spotlight how those are different. Because if you have a scene where Wonder Woman is moving her arms so fast she can block every bullet, you know, that to me is pretty much the same thing as what The Flash is doing later on in the movie. Even though it does, it finally goes to that level that showcases what makes his powers that much more unique or whatever. But I, you know, I, th I thought I liked him fine as a character. I thought, you know, I, I think the only problem is that you, you end up, you know, maybe this is the trade off of Whedon, which is that Whedon wants all the characters to be funny. Um, maybe even when they shouldn't be, as opposed to having a character like his, that kind of has to shoulder the responsibility of being all the funny in the movie, you know? And I think that yeah. that's kind of like an unfair um, responsibility. I mean, I don't think that it makes the character bad. I just think that it's like kind of an unfair responsibility for that character to bring the levity to a movie that is, again, very heavy and dour. Well, I mean, I think it's a way oh. for Snyder to rely on the fact that, yes, my the my Batman v Superman movie was going to be dour. That's the way I designed it. Now I'm making this movie, and just by nature of having the Flash involved, it's going to be lighter because of that. Uh, beyond like various interactions that naturally will you know develop a little humor, having a character that literally jolts energy into this film, I mean it's a good excuse as far as how to give this thing more of an opportunity to give audiences something to laugh at, as opposed to just sticking with the dourness all the time. Not that that's a complete deal breaker, but I mean, it's the Justice League. You gotta have a little fun in here, right? No, and I I like that he seems to be a very specific personality. You know whether or not Jewish. he's on the spectrum. And yeah, I like these Jewish representation. Yay. I like him. I like, you know, again, as someone that's always whining about how they take a bunch of generic, vaguely handsome white guys and try to make them the next Tom Cruise, I like the somewhat quirky guys like Ezra Miller and Eddie Redmayne, regardless of whether I like Bane all DeHaan. of their films. All of... Yeah, by default, yes. Um, whether Driver. or not I like each of their performances or each of their movies, I do like a certain, you know, he is eccentric. He is quirky. And I think he is different enough from, and I always 
mess up the order of this man's name. Is it Grant Gustav or is it Gustav Grant? Grant Gustav. Grant Gustav. Thank you. Yes. Not Whose only name is Gustav? Is... Okay, go on, Scott. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I've been messing that up for eight years. Um, not only is he very different from him, but frankly, he seems like the kind of guy that would get along with him, which we kind of saw very briefly in last year's Crisis on Infinite Earth, you know, miniseries. Now, any shoulder an entire movie as that character? I don't know. But frankly, well, I think the extent that they're making him the flashpoint, he might not have to. I was going to say, fortunately, everybody, we're in that movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's I'm playing Batman and Superman. There yes. you go. Yeah, not, we can cut me out. <laughs> I know who isn't playing Batman yeah. in that movie because he's not in any movies <laughs> anymore. Um, what, let's uh, let's move. Jesus, so these, all these characters. Jason uh, Momoa, fine. Jason Momoa, I, I, I underserved I, comparatively, especially considering you know retroactively. I'm interested in how he plays, given that well, if this movie were to come out, which it did come out, but with this version of this movie were to come out, you know, before we had a solo movie with him. How does that work? Because yeah, this movie obviously offers us more of a more context of who he is at this point in time, even though it rubs up against the continuity of James Wan's Aquaman, uh, which includes obviously the speech bubbles, which are wonderful um, accents. Apparently Amber Heard has like an accent as Mara now. And, she has two um, different ones. She's Irish in the epilogue and English in the Yeah, I noticed that too, right? <laughs> it's kind of changed again. Oh. And more it's wigs. Kind of like, like Willem Dafoe's like, I'm letting the hair out for this movie. Like that yeah. was just before he kind of ironic that of all the films, you know, of all the films before and after, Aquaman, the one that made $1.1 billion, is the one whose continuity is most in conflict with this film. Yeah. <laughs> Other ones can kind of coexist. Um, sorry, I interrupted Carry on. Well, as far as Momo, think, as far as Momoa goes, like, yeah, he, I mean, he, it comes this enough. I mean, you know, Carrie Fisher in the Star Wars trilogy, she has an English accent in the first film, and now they've retconned it as, oh, she was mocking Grand Moff Tarkin by doing a fake English accent. No, is she English? <laughs> that? I thought it was more like that North Atlantic he's, he's thing, like Carrie Grand. Does Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. <laughs> but no, I, I think. Jason Momoa, you know, by default, you know, has the smallest impact of anyone in this picture. Um, Next to Henry which again, Cavill. I find is, I, I I find that very funny in retrospect, but whatever. Of its own accord, it's fine. Um, a, I mean, well, especially because at this point, we're, well, well, how does that work? Like, he wasn't getting his. He was getting his own film, but he didn't have it yet. But I mean, this film spends so much time with Cyborg, so it's like there's just nothing. With I mean. <laughs> Is it because Momoa's like his his personality, like just his general presence, like it just it kind of explains itself. Like, do you really need much more of this guy to like get who Aquaman is? I think that's, that's a fair point. Idea. Yeah, I think it, you know his his machismo. Yeah, I think the character <laughs> speaks for itself. Which I mean, that's kind of I mean, that's a nutshell for this movie. Right? It's like, well, if we can have one character that speaks for itself, why can't other characters speak for themselves? Like, I'm not saying we don't need more of this stuff. At the same time, it's like. Spent a lot of time trying to learn what Cyborg does, where well, Aquaman just arrives on the scene. It's like he's in this epic storm and he's standing on the boat and the shot looks really cool. And then he goes and drops a guy off, 
gets a beer on him and then walks back out, removes his shirt for some reason. Did he have a shirt coming in? Did he just get it from somewhere? I don't understand. And then just leaves. He's like, all right, I get that guy. Like that's that's visual storytelling at its at its you know uh, minimal most minimalist for a movie like this, which is like. I and he throws that. the bottle into the water, by the way. Too, yeah, so he's that, littering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anna pointed that out. She's like, he's littering in the ocean. <laughs> that's the that's the thing he protects. <laughs> Maybe he's refilling it. He's going to drink the salt water later. Well, he's leaving shirts everywhere, so I assume he just figures he can find a bottle again, too, in the same spot. Um, but... Todd, Todd, any other thoughts? Do you have any additional thoughts on Momoa in this movie? I mean, you know, I think he's... Like, I, the, the thing is, I, you like him so much that I think that, like, it's it's okay that he just doesn't have that much substance. It, again, I think really the problem only with his performance or with his character in this movie is that it was abundantly clear they did not have a path for what that character's journey was going to be after this. Fair and enough. so as a result, you have these dueling accents and you have all this stuff because like the, the idea that he's ready to inherit the mantle of his father's crown, you know, like... Like clearly, they went back and sh- reshot the thing where where uh, Willem Dafoe says like, "Oh, take up your 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 mother's," because of course that was the cornerstone of that story. But like, that's not really didn't really that seems like kind of shoehorned into his journey. So, but the thing is that I really do think that that Jason Momoa is like kind of great. Like he's so he's so charismatic that like it doesn't even matter. But um, you know, it's just it's it's again to me it's sort of like the obligation to bring all these people together um, is creates its own problems. One being, you know, again, like I said about Superman is like, you have a character who could pretty much solve every problem. So you got to bring him into the movie, but you can't have him in the movie, you know? And in this, and in his case, it's like, well, we'll, we'll sort of figure out what his powers are, but they kind of are powers. And like, why are people going into dry, uh, bubbles under the water to talk, but then they also talk like dolphins, and there's just, there's, you know, just a lot of things like that that I think that they just did not iron out about what? even just just a basic, you know, foundational mythology for this these people under the sea, and so it 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 ends up confusing sort of the identity that we've discovered and developed over the course of watching him in a movie that made a billion dollars. Um. I do think one thing I like about this cut versus the previous one, I think it very subtly emphasizes the idea that, especially as the film goes on, you know, obviously he's not there for much of the first two hours. He wants to be a surrogate big brother, specifically a cyborg, but I suppose also to the Flash. And in a way that drives home what to me was the theme of both versions of this film, which was the whole, you know, if the Avengers was a workplace comedy or a workplace melodrama, this is a surrogate family melodrama. And that his interactions, especially after his father dies, where he obviously, you know, it's, 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 the shit gets real, pardon the expression, he really does take an interest in being a surrogate big brother or, you know, a metaphorical shoulder of support for Cyborg in almost a very subtle way. Um, so I do like that, even though, again, I don't think that furthers his own personal character arc that much. All right, let's... Let's wrap up these other two, because I just think they're less consequential, and then talk about the villains a bit, and then the epilogue, and then we can stop this review. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so we have Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot here. I honestly feel like, I mean, granted, this is, be, you know, when they shot this version of the film, they were probably more enthusiastic about things, but I just still feel like they just 
seem checked out from this by comparison to their other movies. I, I feel like Affleck was more into CrossFit Batman and Gadot was more into, obviously, solo movies of Wonder Woman, where here, I'm not saying they're bad, but they're just kind of, I don't know, they're just not that compelling by comparison. Am I alone uh, in this? Or... That's weird. I think, I, think, uh, I think that's the consensus, but I wholeheartedly disagree. I really like them, and I really like that there's a that there's a platonic friendship between them. They have that one moment with the hands on the mouse, but I, I know even from Snyder's plans, he wasn't planning on having them hook up. If anything, he was going to have Bruce and Lois hook up, which is a terrible idea, and I'm glad he didn't. But I really like the way they came to the fore as co-team leaders, not in conflict with each other, working together, not as lovers, but as co-team leaders, I thought that was a great dynamic. Well, story-wise, I hear what you're saying, but in terms yeah. of like the performances themselves, I just I I'm not and I'm not saying they're devoid of charisma. That's they're, they're movie stars. I get it, but I just it, it just felt evident to me. To me, it just felt like they they weren't here. They weren't present as much as they were in their other movies. I mean, I would say that's probably true, but also I feel like I, the, the, I you know, I feel like the the expiration date on on Ben Affleck's Batman like started ticking away the second he appeared on screen, like for whatever reason. I mean, I don't mean that even to denigrate him, but I just feel like it was like one of these things where it was like he chose to do it, and as soon as it happened, he was like, oh no, I don't want to keep doing this. Like it was just like a thing, and so I think that comes across. And unfortunately, I like. The, Affleck, I feel like you can really tell when he's engaged in something and when he's not. And I don't feel like um, he's he was as engaged. I mean, I think he does a fine job, but I think, you know, you guys, uh, Luke was talking about performances and 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 uh, and I think that your characterization is right, that he is sort of there to punctuate sort of these ideas. But I mean, like he's like going, how can I be the most convincing plot delivery system? you know possible and i think that he does that unfortunately he, he's the oldest member of this cat this core cast right oh unless sir. you count jeremy irons I'm not, that's what, what, I, what <laughs> I was gonna what i was going to say is well i i hear what you're saying todd because i feel like yeah because the scenes where he is with jeremy irons or with you know humans just like the thing and just not talking about fantastical stuff that is where he seems like he's like yeah it could be an actor and act with jeremy irons in a scene but when it comes to him being like you know, I got to go fight these parademons. It's like, yeah, I, I can feel like it just doesn't feel like yeah. it just doesn't seem like he cares that just much about this, Whether, which, well, is why, which is which is why, which is real quick, which is why I think in, B, in Batman v Superman, he was more engaged because it wasn't about fighting parody. It was about sparring off with Jesse Eisenberg and 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 Henry Cavill in moments and Amy or like, you know, or, or Jeremy Irons, like just, you know, people and having scenes that felt, you know, dialogue or, or Gal Gadot, for a matter of fact, as far as introducing that character, like. If you're like, okay, I, I get to act with other people in a thing that seems to have a drive as far as what it's trying to do. Like that just it feels like Affleck I, just like could connect to that more. I think part of it is is, you know, and I'm I'm armchair diagnosing here. I probably shouldn't, but I, I always felt that he signed up to do Batman as sort of a, you know, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna be an actor, and in exchange for giving Warner Brothers this huge boost, you know, I'm gonna be able to fund more of movies like The Town, like Argo. And live by night. Which Unfortunately, saw. what? Well, yeah, <laughs> well, that's the problem. Is, you know, then the you know the streaming revolution happened, and studio programming movies became commercially unviable. And by the time it came time to do Justice League, I think he understandably realized, you know, that the the things that he thought he was going to be able to do on studio money 
were no longer viable. Well, to be fair, he was making live by night, and nobody cared about yeah. it because they just wanted to exactly. like every press exactly. outlet wanted to ask him about exactly. Batman. So it just like, I uh, it also wasn't very good. Yeah, that doesn't help either. Yeah, it wasn't nearly as good as yeah. his best picture winning Argo. So it's like well, I absolutely believe that contributed to him quitting. But I, with whatever other personal problems he was having, um, I was I was gonna say, you know, one of the things I do think is an improvement is that we do actually see him shave in this movie, <laughs> which which is funny because when you watch the 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 Whedon version, you know, uh, Bruce Bruce Wayne's face changes in shape seemingly throughout the movie, which I'm sure was owing to at least some of the reshoots. But also there are from one scene to the next, he's got a beard and then he's clean shaven. And I was like, and I was actually grateful that they had that moment that it was like, a that it was thought through that. He's like, I'm going to be scruffy when I go out to talk to Aquaman, but then I'm going to clean myself up when I go back into the city. And I thought that was good. So, you know, I mean, I think he's fine. I just think that like, honestly, I think he's a person, again, I think he's an actor. I think you can tell when he's engaged and when he isn't. And I don't think that he was that engaged. I will say, unfortunately, um, I just don't think Gal Gadot is that great an actress to begin with. Like, I think she's a spectacular movie star. And one of my colleagues made this observation and I could not agree with it more is that she's so good at being a movie star, but I just don't, there's just not a lot of substance behind her. Unfortunately, I just feel like, and so like, it's all good intentions sort of as an actress. And so, you know, like when you have that moment and this is maybe why I had such, I struggle so much with that superhero scene where, where they all fight Superman is that she's like sort of going like, no, Kal-El, like we're your friends. And you're yeah. just kind of like, I don't think there's, there's just nothing behind that. And I think that might be the writing. I mean, I'll attribute it to anything. I'm, I'm really not trying to vilify her because I do think that she's absolutely magnetic on screen. But I also just feel like there's sort of a bit of a black hole of, of depth behind there where you're just kind of like, Okay, well, she's it's wonderful that she says to a little girl after she rescues these people, you know, you can be anything you want to be. I think, you know, but uh, I was like, I just think there's like so many missing pieces to the character that her she lacks the substance as an actor to bring in there. So, and again, I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier when, we were t when I was talking about sort of the idea of just there's so much time on screen. You know, it's like, okay, her mom has been, um, like, oh, I hope that Diana sees this flame that we did. But I'm just like, has she literally never been back to the mascara? Well, she's not in... allowed to go back to the mascara. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, like, like... She, she, because she left, she like can't go back. Like that's the thing. Was... Well, that's a rule, damn it. <laughs> but I just, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I, one, I didn't, I guess I didn't know that, but I, but also I'm just sort of like so. So now there's she just has to be out in the world and she can never see her family again. I, I mean that know. that'd be weird if she didn't go back and she could, right? I mean like why would she not go back yeah. and see Mascara? <laughs> like yeah, she, well, she's not allowed. Like that's Well, I mean the thing is the thing is that these the fact that these people are ageless and, you know, that they live eternally is such a hard thing for me to understand in this world. And, you know, you can, you can back that up to Wonder Woman 1984 and to other things and, and all that kind of stuff. But you just sort of like when I, I think that there are things like that, that, you know, it's not just a matter of there not being dialogue about them. I think that she is like, well, I'm just here to do, be the best 
visual Wonder Woman that I possibly can be. And I think that she's very good, and I think that she has a very kind and compassionate presence on screen, which is good for that character. But I also just don't, I, you know, it's like there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot ticking behind the eyes for me. And, it and reminds so, me of a Hayden Christensen in the Star Wars prequels, specifically Revenge of the Sith, in mm-hmm. which a fantastic physical presence, both, you know, you know, physical attractiveness and just general, you know, engrossing screen presence, a strong physical actor, but isn't that great with the spoken word? And to a certain extent, that's okay. Because as you said, you know, it's her job to be a visual representation of Wonder Woman. And whether or not she can pull off a dramatic monologue is less important. Although I think that was more apparent, obviously, in Wonder Woman 84, where she didn't have a bunch of character actors, you know, pitching in, you know, Chris mm-hmm. Pine and, and, and David Thewlis and et cetera, Danny Houston. Another um, thing with, with Ben Affleck, I think he's fine in this film. And this is, this may be my own subjective, whatever. I always think that Batman looks ridiculous in the justice league. You know, it's, it's just by default of you've got, you know, a guy that can run faster than the speed of light, Scott, Wonder Woman, the, the sea dude, Scott, and you've got did, a guy that's dressed like you, a bat. Did you watch that last battle? He grabbed a gun and shot parademons. I mean, <laughs> it's basically the same thing. There's always a scene, and it, it happens in Batman v Superman, and it happens in Justice League, where, like, he does something very minuscule in comparison to everybody else, and the camera pans to him, and he has this dumb look on his face. It's like, I am helping. And I don't know how you get around that. But I do think that's part of why, for me at least, Affleck isn't as strong in these two Justice League movies as he was in Dawn of Justice. Along with everything that you're saying, Eric, because you're absolutely right. He's acting against people rather than things. If if you get Justice League written by someone really well, Batman is the smartest guy in the room, and he's ten steps ahead of everyone else. That's the other thing, yeah. Yeah. Which this movie doesn't necessarily convey. It's more that he's just... A leader and surviving the supplying the resources, which is more of a Tony Stark thing. Yeah, it's more, yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone says the good points, and he's like, okay, so how about this? Like, it's like, well, yeah, we yeah. all just kind of de- that's what Jeremy Irons is basically doing here. It's like, which is fine. He's Alfred, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, give Batman some time to be the, you know, the smartest man in the world. Like, I get that. That's exactly right, Luke, as far as how you can effectively utilize him on this team. I do like how everybody treats Alfred like the cool grandpa that he is. Well, look, I mean, if you saw Jeremy Irons being like an engineer yeah. dressed as he is in this movie, you'd be like that too. I mean, where are you going to say? Very relatable. Um, I'd say, I mean, what what is there to say about Henry Cavill? Like, does he have more than four lines of dialogue in this movie? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like, I don't think he's... I mean, here, here's a question. Beyond, like, I guess the black suit thing, which people like, which goes unexplained here, so good for the fans that got to get that... Um, does, it's just an extra suit in the ship. That's all. I guess that's it's, it's just like I'm just trying to picture like an audience, like a general audience watching. It's like, why did he not wear the bat, the Superman suit? Like, all right, um, because he's sad. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a, a, a proper soundtrack choice for that one too. But because like the Joss Whedon stuff obviously affected this performance because it gave him the chance to be a version of Superman that people generally recognize. Do you? Do you miss any of that element from this movie? Yes. No. Uh, I, I, well, fair enough. Um, for me, he is more of a symbolic representation than a character. And that's not even necessarily a criticism, because he got to be a character in the two other films. And theoretically, this was going to lead to other Justice League movies where he would get to be 
you know, a full-blown cartoon again. But I think in this movie, I did miss a little of the super dickery from the Whedon cut, even if it was arguably grafted on by studio mandate or whatever. It was still kind of that, yeah, he was more jovial, but he was still kind of a good-natured schmuck. Luke, you say no. Why? I don't, I don't, I didn't feel anything was missing. I like the, I like this portrayal fine. I don't need kids to interview him on his cell phone or whatever. Uh, well, that stuff know. was bullshit, but I mean, just in terms of him having anything to say, like in this or, final battle where he just shows up. Or even for him to say, you know, do you bleed? And then at the end, Batman's like, yeah, I'm bleeding. I didn't need that either. <laughs> you know, I was, I agree with Scott that he is a symbol. He's a symbol of, he is a symbol of lost hope. And I like that aspect that it was represent again i feel like it accidentally represented perhaps accidentally represented the post-covid world where we are looking for that hope to be resurrected and feel like it's gone uh but i don't think he would have become i don't think if you don't if you're hearing what zack snyder's talking about in his future plans he wouldn't have become that good clark kent again he was going to become evil superman almost immediately which i'm interested to yeah. see and <laughs> I, I i might get with you guys and say that might not be the right choice if that was what they had done um we may never know or we they may change their minds who knows um i i i mean i don't know we're gonna start talking about the epilogue already or we're gonna that, yeah we're getting yeah. there in a second oh well yeah, that's part of his performance so we might as well you oh, know. I mean, he's fine i mean it's I would say I don't think he does enough to. I mean, you know, that's that fight scene. I, I will. I just. I'm, I, I say this with all due respect to Luke, who is, uh, as always, uh, articulate and very persuasive. But I will not be convinced that that scene is good, uh, where he fights the rest of them, because I just don't. I feel like there's a difference between confusion and um, being an asshole. And unfortunately, like, I just think he, they, and I, and I think that is probably a, a product of the writing and the directing that Superman is an asshole when he fights the rest of the super friends in that scene. And I'm like, and I just think that like, you know, I, I don't blame Cavill for it. And I actually really like Henry Cavill. I, I, I liked him since I saw him in, in, uh, in Immortals. I thought he was great yeah. at that and charismatic and he's great in. Very lean by comparison too. He became so bulky in yeah. these movies. <laughs> Isn't but, there a uh, website called Superman is an asshole that literally has panels from the comics of him doing asshole yeah. things? I, I'm, I'm yeah. sure there's multiple sites of that. I love super decorated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, you know, I mean, uh, to, to, just to, to bring it to, at least to wrap my thoughts on it. Like, you know, I thought he was fine, but also I think again, I think the point point is superman is the is the skeleton key that unlocks everything so we got to keep him out of the movie as long as possible and so therefore he's not given very much to do um you know uh dramatically let's talk so, about these villains a little bit because I, <laughs> I mean for one thing dark dark side's played by ray porter who just seems like a friend of the family at this point is like who's ray porter like where like, this guy's supposed to be the biggest bad and we have this random actor which i'll do you know good job good on him good on him for relating yeah. this part it's just like <laughs> okay like it's it seems like a significant character but all right and then steppenwolf is only voiced by Siren hands right not He's, yeah, not, no. he's not like doing mocap yeah, yeah, throwing yeah. around Amazons or stuff. Right? Well, I mean, he, he did mocap on the Joss version. There's definitely behind the scenes of that. So I, I, I didn't know. know that. Okay. Oh. So but he, I would um, imagine... Wait, so he went from a voice to being like, oh, they're calling me in to put on a green suit and like jump around? There, in the DVD extras, yes, there are pictures of him in the mocap suit. Interesting. But I would imagine that that probably was more for facial 
stuff than it was for what the character does, right? I mean, well, if, I know, if, I know if, they if did. Ray Winstone could be Beowulf. I mean, you know, Sarah and Heim. They have a whole, they have a whole section where they talk about forcing the perspective because he's larger. So, um, mm. you know, if you have the DVD as I do, because I reviewed it at some point, you can take a look, take a look at the behind the scenes of like the sewer fight, and they I show you him. I'm not denying this. I just didn't know it, but it's I just, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Well, I, I don't, I don't know how much of that was used as reference for this one because for this one they do say voice of, so who knows? But all I know is he was in the suit on the Joss set, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Do you like how we see these villains in this movie and like what they're given as far as performances go? The puppy dog eyes are really kind of weird on Steppenwolf, I must yeah. say. I like the weirdness. Uh, it's like, a, like you know, I don't disagree with a lot of what the rest of y'all have said today, just that I happen to like it, whereas you guys don't like it. Um, it's not that I like this movie, just don't love it. Uh, like, there's a, like, someone did a meme today on Twitter where it's like a puss in boots next to Steppenwolf, and it's like, this is how girls do a meme, this is how boys do a meme. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I thought he was fine. I, I did enjoy the whole, and, you know, the middle manager thing kind of reminded me of uh, Ben Mendelsohn in Rogue One, and I, I enjoyed that persona. You know, Interesting that point. character as yeah. well. And I do think, you know, Dark Side being in the big battle at the beginning versus Steppenwolf being in the big battle at the beginning is irrelevant to me. You know, it's fine. And again, this is all past and stuff, and in my head, I know it's probably not going to get a sequel anyway, so... Okay, that's fine. I do like the last scene in the climax where you have Darkseid looking down through the portal, you know, frankly looking very imposing and threatening, but also the League staring back at him, basically saying, you know, we are not ones to be fucked with. And I think that's the one big scene where Darkseid actually makes an impression. That's fair. And I would agree with that. I mean, I think that, I mean, the, I mean you know, again, the, the, the problem is that he is very, these characters are both very Thanos-like to me. I mean, you know, it, it, as much as anything in the sense that, that, you know, for better or for worse, Thanos at least had like a belief system that he was acting on. Um, and, and that is not something that, in my opinion, that these characters are acting on. They are, they are acting on like the same kind of villainy that, um, quite frankly, that, that like, uh, Zod and, and the rest of them were acting on in, in the old Superman movie. I mean, like, they're just, it's like, it is a very, to me as a, it is an extremely like eighties, uh, like sort of villain mode. I mean, the mother boxes to me reminded me of like the original GI Joe cartoon where they had the mass device and they just had to get all the different elements so they could make the mass thing work. Um, you know, and, and, and the other thing about this world that's created by these villains is, is that, is, is that you're list you realize that like all the parademons are basically people who have been enslaved by them, which basically makes them all the real human beings like in the matrix. And so there is this like weird moral ambiguity where it's like, well, you guys are still killing other people who, who have against their will been enslaved by these horrible despots. And I, I mean, these are like, again, philosophical thoughts that maybe are just totally irrelevant. So I, I withdraw them necessarily as a legitimate criticism of the movie. But but like, you know, the only thing that I think that this version adds to Steppenwolf is that 
his journey is to some extent to redeem himself in the eye of his nephew, I think. If yes. I, I, I didn't fully, forgive me, I didn't fully capture the family tree there, but... but well, they like, don't say it in the movie. It's just, if you know the comic, oh, you know okay. the nephew. Two, but two they don't say what, it Why screen. did he need to redeem himself? Like... It, I, I mean, I don't. Do you know that answer, Luke? I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, they said he, his arrogance had brought him down he at like some point. Got drunk at a dark side family reunion or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 kicked, he kicked over the barbecue and uh, <laughs> ruined the meal for everybody. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, but he looked like Karen Hines for a while, and that was just re- unforgivable. Uh-huh. But like, you know, I mean, like it's just like it's the the, the costume is his 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 figure the physical embodiment of him is like a hat on a hat on a hat i mean just like this ridiculous <laughs> armor you know and like you know shiny. And, and 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 the thing is like some of the imagery again was fascinating like when the when the sort of explosive volcanic tentacles went up into the sky i was like that's actually a really neat image but also like you create an uh, like a villain whose face again looks like a pug and so it's just not, it's not menacing. It's not, um, it's, you don't buy it. It's not, you know, and, and so like Karen Hines is a fantastic actor and, you know, I do think they were able to work in some degree of like his motivation, but it's fascinating to me that they had this whole thing where he's like, well, dark side said you had to, you had to enslave 500,000 worlds in order to make up for your barbecue incident <laughs> and and i'm and i'm like and i'm like five hundred thousand. i'm like how long does it normally Five beef you know i'm like you know but also it would be one thing you know it's like well clearly you guys had this fight in the past so did you not know earth was still the place that you needed to go with this situation like it's you know and so there's all this stuff again to me that undermines the stakes so that when you're watching this movie and Batman's like, well, somebody could be, you know, maybe they don't use gates to get in. But I'm like, does he know that Steppenwolf is coming at that point or does he not? And I don't know the answer to that. And I don't think the movie really co- communicates it either because Wonder Woman gives him an answer. But like he's clearly been on a path trying to assemble the Justice League for a while. There's a, there's a real the... passiveness to this, given the fact that, yeah, he just boom tunes in and suddenly he's a threat. And it's like, wait, so Batman knew there was something coming, but when? Like, what? And, and he spent a lot of time doing... I get you at that as far as... Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's so, happening because this is the time it's happening. And yeah. It's like, yeah. all right. Um, and it's kind of taking Lex Luthor's word, which Alfred admittedly tells him is not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite, quite, I have another question real quick, because I felt like I was unclear on this too. When, when that giant epic Age of Heroes flashback sequence where everybody's fighting, including Greek gods and Green Lanterns, because why not? Dark Is Darkseid killed in this battle or just like really badly wounded? I was unclear. Just really one. badly wounded. That's yeah. what, all right. It's pretty well, really embarrassing was... too. Here's, here's the question well, I have. I, wait, wait, real David, quick. David Thewlis is building this, and David Thewlis doesn't say anything. So they just put a giant face. CG Ares. Is they brought David Thewlis in and paid him to stand for the giant CG Ares? I'd love to know how that. Well, they could, you could disrupt all of Aquaman's continuity, completely take out Cyborg and Flash for the most part, but you can't disrupt the presence of David Thewlis's face briefly seen in this prologue action sequence that took place. You just can't. But it do not look like him either. It didn't either. I noticed because he's in, he's in the credits, 
really big sidebar by the way once again Zack Snyder's choice to put like 12 point font credits in these movies makes no sense to me but whatever uh, it was gonna be IMAX they would have been bigger still I saw Batman v Superman at IMAX and it was like why are the like this is Batman v Superman why is the title like in the small corner here it just doesn't make any sense to me but regard, regardless it's a really tiny doesn't matter it, yeah David Thewlis is like all right they just threw him into this, this face on this thing because we badly needed to make sure that nobody was like, wait a minute, why is David Thulis in this backstory scene? I don't know. It's a, it's a choice where there's Greek gods. This just gets me too, the fact that there's Greek gods that like actually existed in this world. Like That's just really funny to me. Well, I'm, you know, and that's one of those things too. I mean, you know, I'll say, I think that, 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 um, that uh that marvel really thread threaded that needle really well because that what they did was as luke pointed out they uh-huh. were they led into the the team up movie by establishing that there is a place where there is a god of thunder alongside this guy who is a super engineered super soldier and so on and so forth so that it all fits together yeah. whereas here you're like you're essentially reverse engineering from the juxtaposition of a guy in a bat suit and then a guy who's an alien. And then somehow also mythology works too. And I mean, obviously, you know, uh, with Wonder Woman too, but, but it's, it, it, which, but that's also a different kind of deity in a way. And so it's, it, it does, they just kind of conjure a lot of questions that I think are not satisfactorily answered in the movies themselves. And so therefore you're sort of relied upon um, as a comic book fan or, or a potential viewer to either Wikipedia the shit out of the movie afterward or be a person um, in the way that, that say Luke is where he, he knows this from reading and collecting comic books and knowing mythology to be able to, you know, present to understand the connective tissue. That's not explicitly stated. Speaking of unanswered questions, let's wrap this up by talking about this epilogue that takes place uh, where after all the efforts and various montages, we then get this, I guess, flash forward slash very accurate dream um, that Batman is having uh, about the future of the world where Darkseid has, I guess, taken over at this point. And now it's up to Batman, Deathstroke, Mara, the Flash, and Cyborg, and, and, Joker. Jo- and Joker, of course, to, st- to stop this and, and, and avoid Superman at all costs. I I have thoughts, but where are you guys with what this thing was trying to accomplish? Obviously, like I from a it from... was you were an adulterated fan bait. I hate it, but I also know it's not for me, so I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it undermines the whole look at what we accomplished, yada yada yada, optimism, hopey changey, yada yada yada, to basically say, oh, never mind, the guy that we just kicked ass and defeated actually won and several of the characters that you've been reintroduced to are now dead now again whatever it's a comic book i I get that and if there was a plan to absolutely make two more of these that would be one thing but it's like having a cliffhanger when you know your your show got canceled already i like the fact that it i like the fact that it doesn't leave those scenes from Batman v Superman hanging. It makes it clearer what they are. And even though they're not going to probably follow through on it, it's now understandable as a premonition. And we know traveling back in time to try to prevent it. And in terms of 
a dark ending. I don't know. Do you think it's worse than the ending of the original Terminator, which when I was a kid screwed me up because I was like, oh, she saved the day, but nuclear war. Um, well, I mean, I would argue that Terminator is something different than a mega-budget Super Friends movie, um, especially one that was theoretically intended as a somewhat more aspirational, optimistic adventure picture. Well, but again, it, I, it, I'm nitpicking because at the end of the day, I know this scene was for the fans, even more so than everything else in this stuff was. Um, I, I, I'd, ar- I'd argue that the Terminator, I mean, the goal of that movie was we just need to save this person so we can, so we can at least have this version of that future, where this yes. mo- where this movie pretends, hey, we stopped Darkseid, therefore Earth is, or we stopped Steppenwolf, therefore, and Superman's back, therefore Earth is, you know, Earth's good for a while, and then very quickly shows us, no, it's not, you're wrong, everything's gonna be terrible. Um... I, you know, I, I mean, I agree with Scott that that the that the coda, that the epilogue, you know, kind of really undercuts the sense of of catharsis that arrives when you unite all these heroes for the first time. Um, I also think, uh, you know, what's what's it, it's funny to me, Luke, that you say that you feel like it it doesn't leave those other scenes hanging because it doesn't make any more sense to me after watching another scene than that it that it did after watching it at Batman versus Superman because I'm like, okay, so there's another dream where he's like fighting people and it's dusty. I just don't understand. Like, and and you know, it's like the idea of how these people are together is so weird. I mean, like you know, and then of course, like you have to go all the way back to like those scenes where the Flash is saying Lois Lane is the secret or or whatever the it is, key. which of Lois is the key. And it's which which to me is again is is like I find all this. I mean, this to me is like the worst instincts of of Zack Snyder's sort of grim, dark obsession. Because it's like the fact, quite frankly, it's it's completely epitomized in the dialogue that Joker speaks, where he goes, how many multiverses are you going to kill her in or not save her in or whatever? And I'm like, y'all have not even introduced the idea that there is a multiverse yet. And the fact that you have that scene in this movie as just some sort of like a weird thing that suggests there's this parallel universe where this is going on or even potentially that flash and or Batman are going from one universe to another, trying to fix things to me is like, you are getting the cart so far out in front of the horse. It's ridiculous. And so, you know, I mean, like I didn't like the scene because it didn't have any substance for me. And I felt like the story was over mostly. Um, But, but I, you know, it was sort of the thing that's really weird is that you, before that you have a, uh, at least I, if I understand, if I remember correctly, you actually have the Lex Luthor slash yeah. Deathstroke yeah. scene. So you're like, okay, well, so he was going to go kill Batman, but then literally there's a dream flash mm-hmm. forward sideways where they're working alongside each other. And it's not even like sort of acknowledged in a way that makes it that much more confusing. So to me, yeah, like that was really undercut the, the, what I assume was a sequel tease to the Batman. Yeah, that was the yeah. idea that it was going to focus. The Bat- Ben Affleck's Batman movie would have focused specifically and on it Death says Stroke. something of how unedited this film is that even the scene with Jesse Eisenberg, Lex Luthor, feels slow and poorly paced. Mm. I mean, that guy was pure cocaine in the last movie. Yeah. <laughs> it should have been credit scenes. That's that's the bottom. I mean, that, I that's think, exactly yeah. what I was going to say, Luke. I, would, yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you guys this question: If we got to, if we got to like that Deathstroke thing and credits, and you have ten minutes where you're just sitting there, and then you get to this 
admittedly very long epilogue sequence or dream sequence do you think that makes it better in any way do you think that level yes. of pacing would actually make Not that for scene me, more effective because the story implications are the same mm-hmm. but having said that you know as a consumer it's very easy for me to hit stop at three hours and 40 minutes mm-hmm. when joe morton finishes his soliloquy yeah and that's me is the end of the movie and it's a very satisfying finale that was a okay justice league movie I'm going to go off, you know, and do something else. You know, I, I'm not forced to watch the frankly disappointing, re, you know, original version of the Lex Luthor scene or the nightmare sequence every time I watch this picture. I yeah. um, Sorry, go Todd, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I, I don't think that I would feel any differently necessarily. I mean, like I sort of, I mean, I think that it, that Scott's right on the money and that, and that you can't put a scene like that after the end at the, at the end credits of a four hour movie. Um, but I think that, um, but I definitely just think that, that I didn't know what any of that shit meant when I watched it in the first movie, when there were these dream flashback things. Um, and to me, it's like indulgent fan service at the expense of coherent storytelling in the present. Um, because it's not, it's not like, well, this is just an introduction of something that's a, that's a taste. This is like just prompting question after question after question that, that, you know, but certainly I feel like now we know will never, ever be revisited, but certainly at the time it was like, what is, what does this have to do with anything that we're watching right now? And it would be one thing, I mean, and who knows? I mean, Luke, Luke, you might know better than I do. If, if these dream sequences somehow beautifully came back and, and in that way where you're like, Oh wow. Like even that scene where like the four of them there's a Vanity Fair article, I believe, that has Snyder very specifically laying out every single detail of what he planned to do. Mm. And, the, and, if, the, and if not that one, there are like 20 others because he's he, given interviews to everybody. Sure. Yeah, like he, he, I mean, he it, laid this out like a year and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, it's and I'm not saying that, you know, justifies this or what have you. But yeah. I mean, yes, there very much was a, a plan to make all of this make sense. And, yeah. you know, do it. This is Luke, if I'm not mistaken, this is this scene was shot. This whole sequence was shot. For this cut, right? It, what there, this did yeah, not, yeah. this did not exist yeah. before this happened, mm-hmm. right? And and most of them weren't even together. I think uh, Deathstroke and Cyborg were the only two who were actually together on that set. Yeah, mm-hmm. the so, rest were all were all zooming in. But my que- my question for you guys is: when Cyborg has the flash forward warning to this same future, uh, when he's about to start the mother box, is trying to tell him don't do it because this will happen. Do you have the same problem with that? Yes, in theory, in in principle. But for one thing, it's a lot shorter. And I kind of like the goofy nature of they basically accidentally resurrect Superman, if that makes sense. No, because he's Uh, tripping out, and as he's doing this, Flash is like, I can't hear you. I guess you said go. Go, okay, go. Like, well, that's unexpectedly comedic, considering, you know, what's happening in this scene. Uh, But no, I I agree with you. And again, I, I never, I always thought it was absurd that Zack Snyder was going to make a DC universe based on a grimdark video game that I would imagine most general audiences have not played. Um, but that's a longer conversation for another day. As far as my thoughts on this scene, I mean, for one thing, I like that Zack Snyder found the missing event horizon footage and put it at the end of justice league. Like that's really interesting to me, but the, <laughs> the, the, um, the, he really the, is a hero. The main thing that bothered me is 
that I just thought I, I really hated how he was filming Joker. I was like, like, great, you have cameras and you're doing it in your backyard and you're, do, but it's like, you can take, you can give me a wide shot of him once. Like, it's just this weird close up of him. And I really, I know, like, I, I don't think Jared Leto's like necessarily bad, but just like everything around him just seems to like suck the energy out of me about caring about his take on the Joker. So I'm just like not into it. And this, it just looks, I, I don't know. Like, it's just, I, I get I mean, that I get that the intention is to rub me the wrong way, but it's actually making me uncomfortable watching him on screen as the Joker. So it's like I you're, say, you're saying that that shot does not live in a society. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think the scene is just as leisurely paced as everything else in the movie. Which is yeah, it goes on and on. It's just him, like yeah, well, you know, it's strange because it's original footage. So theoretically, he could have, you know, it wasn't just a matter of this is all footage that's now very near and dear to me, and I want to give my fans every every damn thing I've got of it. Which I think is, is the sentiment that pervades a lot of the previous 225 yeah. minutes or so. It was to serve a very specific fan base. And since it's probably, who knows, not going to get a sequel anyway, I am free to hit stop, you know, <laughs> and not watch it at the end, and not treat it at the end of the movie. All right. Yes, you would absolutely have to hit play if there was a sequel. No choice. Yeah, no free will. <laughs> but in terms of, of, of itself as a standalone picture, it's the same reason why I hate the, the season finale of Pitch, which she gets, you know, it's, a, it's about the first female <laughs> baseball pitcher in the end. What a reference. Hey, I know where I'm going with this. I know. Uh, and she gets injured, and that's the cliffhanger. But then it got canceled. So this entire 13 episode show ends with a cliffhanger that if you assume she doesn't get better completely negates the entire point of the story i'd like to suggest this idea of a cliffhanger if the bad if the good guys don't beat the bad guy it's not necessarily a cliffhanger it just ended at a place where you would rather not have had it end oh yeah I, that, 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 that as well and for example the dark knight i never felt that was a cliffhanger that was just a new status quo that takes that exists at the end of the picture or but, you know, but, the last Jedi. Is that a cliffhanger or is that just a new status quo? Like I feel like I feel the arc of saving the you know, saving the world from Steppenwolf was done. So we yeah. have a little piece of something that might happen after, but that arc was satisfactorily completed, which is why I don't feel like it's a cliffhanger per se. It's just it ended where someone would not lose. Snyder himself has said I ended on a massive cliffhanger. I mean it's it's he threw it out there. I I mean, think they, they I think the the greater issue that at least some of us are taking, like Todd said, is that it's not just that it's a cliffhanger, but it's one that's just so massively ahead of everything where it's like, all right, that's that's a lot to take in that really changes our perspective on where things are supposed to be headed, yet we're not going to have any kind of further clarity to add to that. And I would say also uh, to your sort of observation about what constitutes a cliffhanger or not, uh, Luke, I mean, we're, you know, we are still talking about a superhero movie. This is not an iconoclastic deconstructionist movie, even even in this version or any other. It's never going, there's never, ever, they might have a cliffhanger, which is to say that it ends in a less than happy place if we're talking about an Avengers movie where, say, at the end of it, half of the 
population of the universe disappears. But that's only because we know that there's going to be another chapter. But it's like this story has concluded. And so to lead us down a completely different path without any context whatsoever, to me, is a betrayal of the structure of the of the story that we have invested in, particularly at this length and at this point. I guess I don't agree that there's no context, given that they seeded it in the last movie and in the middle kind of this movie as well. So that's, that may be the disconnect here. But Sure, sure. But I also think that I would just say I think that the, 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 the issue is that, that, this, that all of that stuff exists completely outside the context of the story that we are watching and in all of those films. So it's like this is there's nothing like where you're like, oh, like, what does that even have to do with anything? And so it's not just a matter of going, well, these are developments that are occurring simultaneously in this world. And again, this is a, this, my, my perspective is completely from the outside in terms of the mythology. I was like, but, you know, as a viewer who has watched these films and invested in them otherwise, I'm like, I'm just watching long scenes that I don't know what's happening in them. And and I will say, for better or for worse, I don't think that the Marvel films have ever done that, um, at least in the way that these do, where they they belabor those moments. It's not like a scene in a it's not like we talked about a post credit scene that's like uh, we found a jewel or we found a weapon or we found a whatever. or This is a guy. But it's like that's a momentary introduction. This is like an entirely different world that we are completely unmoored in in every single sequence in which this in every time this appears. And definitely now we're never going to learn what happens in it. And it's interesting that considering that I would argue that this version of Justice League is less of a direct sequel to Batman v Superman in terms of explicit references and explicit callbacks, yada, yada, yada. It is all the more bemusing that right at the end, they make an explicit callback to the most inside baseball scene of the previous film. Sorry, if Luke wants to respond, I, I didn't mean to talk over him. I just thought no. that was... No, I, I don't really have a response. I was going to say, I can think of some Marvel things that are vaguely analogous, but they don't really match. Like, at the very end of the Ant-Man credits, they had a totally out of context Civil War scene that was we kind of weird. And then at the yeah. end of that, at the end of Venom, they said, "Meanwhile, in another universe," and suddenly there's a whole Spider Verse sequence. That's just, like, that's just playing a trailer. Sp <laughs> Spider Verse was actually coming, so that's not really a good good analogy oh. there. Uh, no, the the nightmare stuff and the Martian Manhunter, Julia was just completely thrown by. I was like, "What the hell's going on?" And I don't even play the Injustice game. I just kind of gathered what I gathered based on watching the movies and getting certain references from things. Um, so, you know, I for me, it was well set up and it works. And I, I'm disappointed I won't see it pay off. I want to know why... Batman, why Batman is responsible for Lois Lane apparently dying in this future, how that's going to work, and... I, I guess Flashpoint was going to be him going back in time to stop all of that, but we'll see. Um, I, I'm with all Luke. I can say is that it works for me, and I get that it doesn't seem to be working sure. for everyone else. Luke, <laughs> I, I'll say this: I'm with you as far as I I didn't find myself necessarily lost. I I wasn't necessarily a fan of how they made the scene and what it's speaking to, but in terms of like it being here, it's like yeah, no, I get it as far as what they're trying to do. Of course. I'm more versed in this stuff than like the general moviegoer. So it's maybe just like some natural osmosis going on as well. Um, 
but it, you know, I don't know. It's it, the 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 problem I have is my thoughts on Zack Snyder handling these movies in this universe, where it's like, sure, I'd be happy to see resolution or payoffs to these things that have been set up, but I've also seen three movies where I'm just not that overwhelmed by them, and it's like, okay, so I'm gonna get two more of these things where I'm probably also gonna be less enthused than I would be. Maybe I'd be proven wrong. Maybe Zack Snyder just delivers two knockout smash masterpieces. I don't know. But from where I'm sitting, you know, I like, yeah, it'd be cool to get more of that story. At the same time, it's like, well, it's still the same guy doing the same thing the same way in a way that I haven't really appreciated so far. So it's like, I don't know. No, I mean, if you don't like it, obviously. Yeah. yeah. One, thing I, one thing I found really interesting looking at the reactions to this film among non-critics is that you have the obvious people who are hate-watching and they tweet about how much they hate it. You have the obvious fans who are watching it and tweeting about how much they love it, but I've seen a lot of people who sort of set out to hate-watch it and came out of it kind of thinking, well, okay, it's not entirely my thing, but I appreciate it a lot better than I did before. Because it's very it seems to be winning over people in a way that a lot of others don't, and that may be just because it's on TV, but Wonder Woman 1984 was on TV, and that seemed to alienate more people. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the open-hearted sincerity that eventually comes to the forefront and the fact that I think the third act is very strong yeah. is a reason why the word of mouth is perhaps better than we were expecting. Yeah, no, one, uh, no one revokes their wish in this movie, so that's something different. Well, yeah, and I would say, I mean, I would, I, I would maybe attribute it to, I mean, I, I certainly would uh, attribute it to the, the sincerity of, of Zack Snyder's effort, but I also think... Um, a lack I of think, event films. Well, well, no. I, well, I, what I was going to say was, I, I think that I don't think this movie can be separated from the tragedy that Zack Snyder experienced. Um, yeah, and I, I think, think that he, and I, and I think that he seeded it with that. And I say that not as a like, a, in a, I don't think he did that in a craven or a, or, or an opportunistic way. Of I think not. he did no. it because it was a cathartic experience for him. But I, but I think that you know, I mean, like I said, I read Walter Chaw's review that I thought was really interesting and 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 incredibly humane and um and and empathetic and i read a lot of articles that i thought you know to some extent kind of bent over backwards to try to artistically legitimize this that i thought were were probably coming from a place of trying to be empathetic to that choice um and the fact that i do think that there is a lot more humanity in this than there was in the original version or the theatrical version of justice league sure. um and so i think that there was a degree of kindness i mean you know and i think that also if you watch it i mean it is a better version i mean it is and like i said yeah. I, i'm i'm not you know i, I really like my criticisms notwithstanding i it's not me sincerely hating on this movie it is just kind of like having now the breathing room to kind of go all right come on but what about this and come on and what about this and 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 particularly in a conversation like this mm -hmm. whereas normally i would be like you know i, I like i said it after watching it, i'm like listen if this were on hbo and I was sitting down in the morning and I was like, I'm going to eat a bowl of cereal. And it was on. I'd probably watch 20 or 30 minutes of it. I wouldn't watch the whole thing, but I would do it almost regardless of what point of, in the movie it was it was on. Because I found it like captivating to watch in a smaller portion. Um, but I think that, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, he had to go through the he had to have that experience that led to, I think, a much more humane and probably in a way much more um, optimistic movie than maybe he would have made 
um, you know, four years ago, um, which I think is is good for the movie. Um, but also I think that the unfortunate thing is I don't think now we're going to get any version of that Zack Snyder storytelling going forward in the DC universe. They're not, I mean, like I've seen, I saw people like Friday afternoon or Thursday or, or, you know, hours after that thing premiered going like, well, so when are they going to green light, you know, justice league two? And I'm like, well, they're going to do it, but they're not going to do it with him. And I just, and I don't, and I don't think that's going to be spite. I don't think that it's like a, even a crate, like a capitalistic choice. I think what it's going to come down to is they realize that people don't want to see more of this world in this like protracted long storytelling way. They want something that is actually hopeful. That's not just symbolically hopeful or you know iconistically hopeful it's going to be something it needs to be something that is more upbeat that is more engaging that is more relatable that is more aspirational and it just because i mean i don't know how you can get to the end of this movie and other outside of cyborg think it's aspirational <clears throat> i mean it's just these movies are just dire you know and i mean and and i think that that is that just scuttles the interest level in another story. And that's, and that's exactly why Jack Snyder went into this. He had the contract to make justice league after he had made a movie that people did not like, and people did not like Batman versus Superman. And so I think what happened was the studio was, certainly biting their nails and then this tragedy occurred which allowed him to step away or forced him to step away and and the studio to go we can try to deliver a better version of this movie that will not be as <coughs> misanthropic or unhappy as we as the other ones were and so you know the the of course the result was a shitty movie that, that ended up becoming even more Zack Snyder's movie than it was before. But I think that like you know what happens going forward, I think that this was sort of the cathartic payoff to that impulse in general. And I think the DC universe as a whole in the future is going to be much more. If not, I don't think they're all going to be like Wonder Woman. But I do think that like even though. Wonder Woman 1984 was not fully successful. I love the idea of a superhero who at the end convinces the bad guy to, to take accountability for his own badness. And it doesn't involve like a fight. I mean, I think that's fantastic. And I think that if they can continue using that kind of creativity as opposed to just going, well, we'll have a, a thing for people to year and after and a bunch of people to fight. I think that's, that is the way that super there, a, a way that superhero movies used to be that now people are going to get away from. I have a yeah. question. For, I have a question for Scott, actually, as the box office analyst here, I've had a lot of my friends say, so does this justify a justice league sequel from Zack Snyder? And my answer has been, I don't think even if it's the greatest rated movie in HBO history, it justifies spending 200 million on a Zack Snyder justice league sequel. Am I right? Is there any math that would work for that sequel or is it, is no, there no math that can possibly do it? Well, no, because unfortunately, if he's going off the cliffhanger, you're going to end up with a, an apocalyptic Hellfire movie, which is the exact opposite of what people seem to like about this one. To, to be, to be uh, fair, it has to get to that point. So you'd have a, you know, a good portion of the movie that's not an apocalyptic Hellfire. Uh, from what I get, and I, I could be mistaken, I'm going off memory, from what I gather, a lot of the second planned movie was this shit hitting the fan just right away <laughs> uh pretty again i could be mistaken all right um 
I also think, I mean, this was, in, you know, I don't think he wants to live in this world forever. Um, well, given that know, he had both, two movies planned and then he was done with it, I mean, yes. Yeah, and, and <laughs> part of it is, you know, and again, not to whine about the discourse, but uh, again, I, 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 I'm sort of befuddled by the reactions I'm seeing about, oh, how could have Warner Brothers have done this? And it, first of all, it's not Zack Snyder or not Josh Whedon sneaking to the editing room to steal his movie from him while he's off mourning. It was, you know, Whedon gave Warner Brothers the movie they requested. Second of all, after Man of Steel had a soft reaction, after Dawn of Justice was basically loathed by general audiences, why would we expect Warner Brothers to think, well, this time it's going to be different. This time it's going to pull off a Lord of the Rings meets Super Friends, you know, open-hearted action epic. I mean, you know, to, I, to, I, to be fair to some extent, you know, some studio, you know, Warner Brothers included, some they do continue being like, well, we can do this again anyway, and it'll work this time. I mean, that's not completely new yeah. either. Fantastic piece. Um, yeah, yeah, fantastic uh, piece. Every Robin Hood no, movie. I, I mean, I, like, what are you doing? <laughs> I think this movie doesn't exist except for a HBO Max had a soft launch and needed something to get free advertising and free media attention, and B COVID happened, so yeah, a it was a big scale piece of content in a vacuum and see, frankly, it would, it would be something that would help FX shops that might otherwise be in deep financial trouble and would keep them in business, which long-term is to Hollywood's benefit because, you know, if all the FX shops closed down and who does their special effects? Well, I think this was, you know, in the same way that all due respect, the, you know, negative perfect storm of what happened during the making of justice league, is why the Whedon cut exists as it does. I think also the negative perfect storm of, you know, COVID and the related things is why this, this, you know, this standard uh, cut exists. And I, you know, I, 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 I don't think that curiosity and, you know, is going to fuel interest in a second conventionally theatrical Zack Snyder Justice League. Yeah, for sure. Um, do I think that in a few years they make another Justice League movie? Maybe it's the Injustice Gang versus the Super Friends and Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, maybe Superman, maybe some Batman, and, you know, I don't know, Black Adam or whatever, if he's not still a bad guy. And that is financially viable? Sure, why not? But I think this specific... So, someone has to stop Jesse Eisenberg. So. Exactly. I do think that this particular injustice, God's Among Us version of the DC Universe has run its course. And I think this cut existing the way it did was both a you know, due to circumstance and because, you know, at that time, DC Films was kicking ass with Wonder Woman, Shazam, Aquaman, and Joker. Like, fine, we'll give them a cider cut as a treat. Any other final thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League? We've talked a long time on this movie. <laughs> I, I, that's the final word, honestly. I don't know if I have more to add to that. No. <laughs> yeah. It's not fair of me to separate, you know, to not separate the commercial considerations of what I was watching, but I cannot help but mourn the probably pretty decent two and a half hour theatrical cut of this movie that would have starred Cyborg, that would have been visually impressive, that would have at least had some artistic and commercial reason to exist. Versus the version that we got. 
Yeah, I mean, I would I would say I agree. I think that there is a happy medium somewhere in there. Uh, even at three hours, I think could be yeah. a very compelling film. Um, you know, sans uh, those sort of again those sort of digressive uh, interludes. Uh, I mean, you know, I didn't even remember what you were talking about, Luke, when you were talking about like Cyborg's little vision, and I was like, oh yeah, that was one of the other things that I was annoyed by because I was like. I'm watching the flash like about about to do this. And I'm like, and this is happening to satisfy a completely different impulse in that moment. And that's actually why I don't like those things because they're not there to satisfy the narrative demands of this movie. They're there to satisfy the narrative demands of three or four or however many movies down the road. And so, you know, to some extent, and, and like, I think I said at the beginning, um, I absolutely am, am happy for, for Zack Snyder to have been able to complete his vision, however much that vision existed in 2017, that he was able to create it or recreate it now in 2021. But um, I don't think that, uh, I think that, you know, and if you love it, then great. And if you want to see more of it, then also great. I'm like, you know, but it was enough for me. Uh, again, I, I'm certain that if I ever see part of it on TV, I probably, it's not like a thing where I'm going to race to change the channel, but I can tell you that the likelihood of me sitting down to watch all four hours of this uh, ever again is pretty unlikely. With that in mind, when should people go and see this movie? Currently, it's on HBO Max. In theaters! <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume that the very least, we'd all probably say, well, yeah, it's there. You should watch it, right? Is that a fair assessment, even though, even with Todd, you being one that's not as positive on the film? I would assume they'd have seen it already, probably. That too, yes. But... Even thinking about it. So, yesterday, how about that? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I mean, I would say... I would say if if you're interested, then see it now, because like, honestly, as much as anything, I think that it does not necessarily you don't need to necessarily revisit Batman versus Superman or even Man of Steel. I think that um, the hype that is surrounding it right now is enough that you should watch it now in this moment, um, because I don't think that it's going to linger um later on when people actually have an opportunity to watch it. I think, I think it's just going to be like, they're going to be like, what was the deal with this again? I mean, I really do think that's the way it's going to be. So I think that watching it now, um, you know, and, 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 and on a, on a large screen is, is, is the best uh, and uh, soonest uh, way you should see it. Scott. On the biggest screen you can find. Uh, if it ever comes to IMAX, I will certainly seriously consider checking it out again. Because clearly that's the way it was supposed to be seen. And uh, I do think, I mean, no, that's, I'm not going to ramble again. Yes, it's fun. Thanks. I enjoyed it. I think the, I think it ends very well. And see it on the biggest screen you can. Yeah, I don't disagree with what any of you are saying. I mean, yeah, it, it's there to be seen. And Jen probably already was. So, I mean, you probably already got on that train. That said, yes, as a curiosity at the very least... There's plenty of here to, you know, want to be able to watch as far as seeing what this version of the film would be, given all of the drama surrounding the theatrical version, let alone the drama leading up to the actual completion of this version. It's like, yeah, I'd want to see what that is. So here it is. Um, And then, yes, also like what you said, Todd, it's like the half-life on this thing beyond the super fans and the people that will bemoan restoring the Snyderverse for the next several years or whatever they do. I don't know where other, other conversation is going to be had, you know, in a few weeks, few months time after this thing, you know, is kind of 
out of the picture and other things become more popular to talk about. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll add that the chapter breaks are very useful too. If you don't think you can handle the four hour sit, the chapter breaks are well placed. They're well paced for bathroom breaks. Um, so I you don't even have that. to watch it all in one sitting. Yeah, I, I would, agree with that. Absolutely. I would, I, would, I would go even further and say if you if you watch like the prologue in one two, you could stop there for like a night or a few hours. Watch three four, you can stop there, and then watch uh, five six uh, the epilogue. And I think that's a, I think those are three distinct chunks that actually work pretty well given the pacing of this film. Um, but yeah, I mean you're you're not wrong, Luke. Everything you, I mean, yeah, they're they're there to be utilized as far as ways marking points to to stop the film for a brief period if you need to. Um, we have been going on quite a bit, so I'm going to make a deal with you guys. This is a Snyder Cut size podcast. I'm going to make a deal with you guys. We can stop this episode right now, and then we, you, the, the, if you guys permit me, if you want to stay on, we can continue on with the feedback and the games that I did make for this episode, and we can put that into a bonus episode. Would, would you guys, are you guys willing to stay on for a little bit longer to do that? Or how much, how much longer are we talking about? Maybe like, maybe half an hour at most, at most. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to wrap this one up now for the audience that's listening. So where, where can people find more of your guys' work? Luke Thompson, where can people find more of you online? Oh, uh, filmsgonewild.com, synagogues, that's C-I-N-E-G-O-D-S.com, and superherohype.com. Just search for any articles with my byline. Scott Mendelson. Uh, Forbes.com, the ticket booth, same old, same old. Todd Gilchrist. Um, in uh, whattowatch.com, uh, the pages of Fangoria, and hopefully uh, if their site comes back on their website as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while, so I'll just give it a little bit of a plug. But on, on Fridays uh, at usually around 5.30 p.m. Pacific time, I've been um, having Instagram live sessions where I go through my record collection, me and, uh, I, uh, me and my wife, uh, will play music and, and, and share, she works for a wine company. And, and so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll drink wine and listen to music and, and just connect and, you know, people can comment and, and make requests and do all kinds of things. And, uh, and so you can do that. And my Instagram is, uh, best dressed Todd. Um, and so, you know, please, you can watch some of the old ones that are still up and, uh, but by all means, please join us on, on Fridays because it's always just a fun opportunity, particularly right now um, in the post Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League um, <laughs> pandemic wasteland that Luke so um, so so uh, eloquently describes. Uh, it's it's to me a great opportunity to connect with people. So I'd love to have more people um, check it out just for fun. You know, very cool. Uh, you can find me at Wise the Blue, We Live Entertainment, the Code of Zeke, my personal blog, where everything I do ends up over there. I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find this podcast everywhere you can find podcasts, but uh, feel free to go find us on iTunes and give us a rating review. That would be great. Um, thank you, Scott, Luke, and Todd, for this lengthy review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Very happy to talk to you guys about the film. And um, yes, for the listeners. I hope you enjoyed that, and if you do want to hear your feedback, because you guys sent it in, and, and hear us play some games, there will be a bonus episode coming as well to uh, fulfill the rest of what we had in store uh, for this week's show. So until then, until next time, so long, and goodbye. <laughs>